Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Just when I start doubting the Clippers, they do it. Shorthanded, even Zubak. And so what? They got Paul George. And Paul George went off. He went off 41 points. He had the double-double. He got to the double-figure in rebounds. He had a massive game. The 20-point third quarter was sensational. And then Reggie Jackson gave him the juice in the fourth quarter, and they get it done. They win game five. Now, can they do that two more times? I have a hard time believing Paul George is going to go out there with some version of 40-10 and 10 in the next two games. And as they continue to lose guys, I don't know what other paths they have to victory. I, I think the Suns should still close this out. But this has been a weird, wild postseason, so everything's in play and there are no guarantees. The Suns should do it. I think they probably will do it, but can't slam the door on the Clippers. I think if you're a Jazz fan, the team you need to root for is Milwaukee. And there are lots of ties to lots of teams, and you can spin a lot of different ways, and there's a lot of stories, but Donovan Mitchell is awesome. And he is signed for the long term, so you know he'll be here for a few more years. Now, time flies, right? It's been 20 years plus since the statues went to the finals, so... Time flies, and nothing lasts forever, and he will be a free agent one day. And So Milwaukee has got the closest thing to a Utah story. If you want a story that says you can do it in Utah, you can win it all in Utah, you want Milwaukee to win it. I think Milwaukee is the closest comparison to Utah. And Antetokounmpo decided, I'm staying here. I, I did the rookie contract. And then I did my second contract, and I was a restricted free agent, so I really didn't have that many options. But I wanted to do a third contract. Milwaukee's the place. So if that pays off for him, what does that tell young players in their second contract about what they should do with their third contract? Stay where you are. Build it. There are failures. They are painful. You have to suffer, but you can learn from them, and you will eventually get there. So... That message is out there in NBA history. But, you know, when you're 20-something, what some dude in their 30s, 40s, 50s, or 60s remembers <laughs> doesn't do you any good. They need recent examples. So if it happens for Giannis now, I think that's a pretty good inspirational message right there and something that uh, the Donovan worlds, and not just Donovan, but any young player, you know, Devin Booker, whoever, uh, as, they just, as they move through their rookie contract, their second contract, their third contract, whoever they are, that's a message. Hey, stay put. Grow it. The grass isn't always greener. Don't pick up and run. There's any guarantee it's going to work. Now, if Paul George gets it done with the Clippers, uh-oh, because obviously he wanted out of Indiana. All right. We'll get to all of that coming up. Uh, we got more on the way. But right now, let's talk a little NBA playoffs with uh, Shane Young. He uh, was on with PK and I late in yesterday's show. He writes for Forbes, covers the NBA. Here's Shane Young with PK and I. So the Suns win it all? I think the Bucks will probably have the upper hand there. Um, I, I, I like Milwaukee's size. I like Milwaukee's uh, shot creation with Chris Middleton right now. Uh, Middleton versus Booker in the mid range will be will be one of the best battles you'll see. Um, and and I mean just up and down the board through Holiday uh, against Chris. I mean two of the feistiest, best defensive point guards in the league. But I think Milwaukee would have the upper hand. So is Milwaukee finished off Atlanta in your mind? I mean, it's two one. Oh, yeah. so, but it's well, over. I, I, I do think it would be. Uh, I, you know, whenever Atlanta won Game One, 
<laughs> I was telling everybody because we were in Phoenix, um, uh, you know, covering the covering that series, and I was just telling everybody, look, I think Milwaukee's going to win four straight. <laughs> I just think they're they're so good, and it, it takes one game, as we've seen in other series, particularly from the Clippers. It takes one game to kind of kind of get a feel on how you want to guard certain players, and Trey Young is that guy. And now with him having that ankle sprain, nah, it ain't it ain't looking good. So what's the difference with the Bucks from uh, last year to this year? Obviously, they got Drew Holiday. He's mm-hmm. a different player in terms of being in the lineup. Is that it, or is there more to it? Drew, there is more to it, but it but it always goes back to Drew because of how much they can switch. I don't think last year defensively you could switch Eric Bledsoe onto whoever and and live with the results. And then Bledsoe would obviously make his blunders, have his mistakes deep into the uh, most pivotal games, most pivotal pivotal moments uh, of the East Finals and, and, and such. And I think Drew Holiday, despite never really being on that stage before, you know he's only made the second round, I believe, with um, with New Orleans. But like, despite never being on this type of stage. He's just built for that moment. Like I, I think Drew is a much better off the dribble uh, creator and shooter than Bledsoe was last year. I think he is a better spot up guy, better decision maker, um, and uh, you know maybe a better leader and teammate. And it's just like I, you know, I think I think that has mattered. That has changed the culture. And you know, like, you have to actually give credit. Not not a lot of people want to do want to do this, but you have to give credit to Mike Budenholzer for actually changing things up a little bit and saying, okay, we're not going to play our traditional defense of drop coverage. We're just going to switch a lot more. And that's made them dominant on both ends. Shane Young joining us, NBA analyst and columnist for Forbes Sports. It seems weird to be a coach. I mean, people have always think, always think they know more than coach, and it's easier to blame mm-hmm. the coach than it is to blame the star player, especially if you're a fan yeah. who has some type of – perceived self-perceived uh, emotional connection to the star players easier to dump on the coach but early you, you look at twitter which of course is a crazy thing to look at sometimes <laughs> but you look at twitter and ty Lue. oh he's being out coached by quinn snyder and then quinn snyder ah, he's being out coached by ty Lue. doesn't it just come down to like sometimes you got better players than the other guy and if you switch coaches the same team would win and the other coach would look smarter dude you have read my mind you have taken the words out of my mouth with that because I don't understand. I've never understood assigning credit or assigning blame to, to coaches and, you know, saying they should lose their job for certain things. Like, there were even, you know, this is not representative of the Jazz fan base. I, I think this was just a few Jazz fans, I should say that. But like, there were people saying, like, should they have a coaching change? <laughs> just because, like, they, they lost in the second round to a really, really damn good team. And, you know, it, it's it's always mind-boggling to me whenever people want to, as, as we said, either assign full blame or or give full credit to those coaches. You know, I think Phil Jackson is not another one. Like, does he deserve the full credit for what he did with Michael Jordan and, and Kobe and Shaq? Like, absolutely not. But it's uh, it, it's just it's a weird dynamic, as you said. And I think, you know, going back to your point there, if you if you put Ty Lue on the Jazz, like. I'm sorry, but he's not going to have a small ball center available to him. He doesn't. He's not going to be able to bring Nick Batum from the Clippers to the Jazz, right? Like I think the, I think Rudy Gobert would still be stretched a little bit thin. And in that series, which I'm I'm very disappointed. I didn't get to go back to Salt Lake City for Game Seven because I really loved it there. It, you know, for the three days I was there, that series went by so fast. I feel like, but um, 
I, I think with Rudy, like, you know, it, it wasn't an indictment on him what happened in that series either. It was more so like just the personnel. Like, they, they the Jazz had no uh, variation. They had no lineup flexibility. They could only go big with, with Gobert or Favors. Like, they just couldn't manufacture lineups that could either deter the Clippers from shooting lights out from three or, or make it tough on them. So what do you think of the latest move that came down with Dennis Lindsay and the Jazz? More so from a, from an outside perspective, someone that's not in the market. I'm kind of just waiting to see how the dominoes fall. Like, I'm, I'm wondering why it happened. I'm wondering, like, you know, what, what's going to be what, – what's the impact actually going to be? Because a, a lot of the times you see, like, front office members uh, leaving their roles or, or going to a different, being assigned to a different role. And really, like, the, the long-term effect is – you can't really put your finger on what the long-term effect is going to be. So I'm kind of just waiting to see how the dominoes fall. How, how do you guys feel about it? Waiting to see how the dominoes fall. <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't, you know, the whole personnel side, one person can't do it. You've got to scout guys internationally. You've got to scout pro guys. You've got to scout college guys. And so is it basically going to be the same team? Will there be small changes? Will there be a ton of changes? Um you know, it, it isn't one person yeah. sitting up there with a magic wand. I mean, somebody's got to make the final decision, but there's so much that goes into the process leading up to the final decision, and sometimes you still just have to get lucky. You draft somebody yeah, who could have been good who ends up injury-prone, and you pass on a guy who stays healthy and ends up being really good. Yeah, and even going, kind of going on that point, going to trades too, like, like when it's trade season, I think fans kind of fall into this trap of thinking that it's just like one guy. It's like, you know, let's use like a – I don't know the 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 Celtics for example. Like like it's not only Danny Ainge that is that is pulling the trigger and making those decisions. Like it, it's a team full of like twenty plus people that that's you know kind of like conversing on the subject and, and evaluating the players and and evaluating the long term short term effects of, of said trade. So you know it, it's not going to be just one one guy or one person uh, that that's kind of making the decisions. Right. I'm, as a fan, from the fan perspective, I'm more, way more interested in what is the decision rather than who's making the decision. Yeah. And so is the decision right? Because you can look at any general manager, so to speak, or any group of people. This is the group that thought that trading on draft day for Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell was a great idea, and they were great ideas. And this is the same group that thought Trey Lyles should be drafted ahead of Devin Booker. <laughs> Man, I still forget that Trey Lyles was on Utah. I still like until I watched Kobe's game, Kobe's sixty-point game again. That's when I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the point being, everybody has hits and misses, and you hope that you have more hits than misses. Yeah, and really, like, no front office. Even the Spurs, uh, Spurs have that long track record right. of being uh, awesome but they don't do in-season trades. Like, even the Spurs are not 90 to 10 in terms of, like, exactly. the scale of, of, of having great moves. Like, it's more so, right. like, 60-40 or 70-30. Yeah. And then I think there's the question of, um, you know, people have title, but, you know, uh, wh- where does it go from there as far as, like, Dwayne Wade is an advisor, right? Dennis Lindsay's an advisor. Mm-hmm. But as a part owner, well, of course he's obviously an advisor. So how much does he choose to weigh in? How much impact is there when he does weigh in? 
right? So there's yeah. a whole lot of X factors that go beyond the title. And Wade, like, you know, I think Wade is going to have a voice no matter what just because of how close he is with Ryan and how, like, just his position now and, and actually being in Salt Lake City and being around the culture and stuff. And um, But I don't, you know, it, it's always tricky because, like, he has zero front office ex- experience. And I'm not saying, like, he's in the front office necessarily and having those talks and having those decisions. But, um, you know, it is it is it, 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 it does feel weird when you have such a – renowned veteran renowned like a hall of fame legend there then you don't you don't necessarily like want to lean on him fully because he does he doesn't have that experience as a as a guy that can give you that type of like advice what's going down in portland really has me intrigued because where do they go they've got a guaranteed bona fide superstar at the top but they're sort of running in place what are your thoughts it's more, now it's like damage control. Now they have to just make sure Dan, uh, Dame Willard is is content and okay with the hire of Chelsea Billups. I know there's a lot of stuff that you know allegations from back in you know 1997 and such. And I think that uh, I think Dame. This is just my read on it. I think he kind of like is trying to save face here um, by saying that he wasn't a part of that coaching search or you know he didn't give his opinions, which we know from reporting. Last week that he did, he did give his that give his option. So just kind of weird to see him backtrack into the whole organization, uh, have this like you know damage control going on. But I, I gotta tell you, he's got four years left on his contract, and if I'm the Blazers, nobody and nobody in history has ever been that talented to be on to be in that franchise. Clyde Drexler included. Like Dame is the best Blazer ever, and. I'm sorry, like I'm not trading you unless it's unless I get absolutely blown away by a deal. So it's one of those things where if he comes to you and says he wants out, I just say I love you, Dame. I respect you so much, but uh, tough luck. You're you're here with us, and and we're not we're not sending you anywhere until we have something that we and that we particularly like from a trade package. Well, the length of the contract seems to give them quite a bit of power for the next two years, but uh, then the power will start shifting towards mm-hmm. him. So they need to get it right pretty quick, right? Oh yeah, I mean they have to. Things have to be cordial before, and I think it it still could. Be. I think it still is. Um, things have to be good before opening night because, like, you don't want to start the season on a bad note because then that'll ruin this season. Then you're down to three years, and as you yeah. said, time the the clock will start ticking. So um, more so than anything, it's like. Figure out if you want to have this infrastructure, this this uh, roster in place. Like, if if you want to break up CJ and Dame, like try to get a really good deal for CJ and get some more versatility in defense because they are they for the last three years, man, they have been one of the worst defenses you could ever lay your eyes on. It, it's bad, so they do need to try to get some defensive versatility in there. Shane, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll talk to you again. Thanks. Have a good one, man. There's Shane Young from Forbes. When we come back, college football, the Utes landing a couple of high-profile quarterbacks from California. We're talking recruiting with Brandon Huffman from 24-7 Sports next. The playoffs may be over for the Utah Jazz, but the season never ends on the Zone Sports Network from the NBA Draft. 
to free agency and on to the summer league. The Zone will be with the Jazz every step of the way as the Jazz front office builds for the future. Your exclusive home of Utah Jazz basketball is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by Zero Res. When you get the carpet you tile clean, it's never just clean, it's Zero Res clean. Don't have it any other way. Just $33 per room. You deserve the best. You deserve Zero Res. Schedule with Zero Res today. Call them at 801-288-9376 or schedule online by searching for Zero Res Carpet Cleaning. We're joined now by Brandon Huffman. He's joined us before to talk college football recruiting. He's a national recruiting editor for 24-7 Sports. Brandon, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good. So, the Utes, they've had good teams. The passing game has been the part of the team that has usually been pointed at as the, the group that came up just short of whatever they were trying to do, whether it was in the days when they were 5-7 and seven trying to get bowl eligible, the days when they had 8 or 9 wins trying to get the conference title game, or now they've been to the conference title game twice but haven't won the conference and gone to the Rose Bowl or the playoff. So with Nate Johnson, Brandon Rose, the commitments from them, is Utah hitting a new level of quarterback play? I think they are. I think they are. And I think you look at you know uh, Brandon Rose as being more that traditional drop-back pocket passer Nate Johnson is developing as a passer, but that's not to say he's not a good passer already. He's just a 10-5 guy. He's the fastest quarterback probably in the United States. So you're getting him knowing his legs are a weapon, but the way he has progressed from his sophomore to junior year as a passer and just the continued development there, I think they're going to end up with two really outstanding passers. They just also get a guy who can absolutely fly in Nate Johnson, but they're really checking every box what you need in your quarterback, and now they get two of them in the same class, which is you know almost uncommon nowadays. So for years, Utah had the perception, and maybe it still exists actually. You know they're going to run, and if they don't get a first down, they're going to punt and play great defense, and that's going to be the formula to win. So that wasn't necessarily attractive to hotshot recruits, and everybody thinks they want to play in the NFL. And if you want to be a quarterback and play in the NFL, you got to throw for uh, all these thousands of yards and all that stuff. Is that perception of the Utes changing? I think so. I think so. I think when you know. Whenever you're recruiting an elite recruit, too, you've got to convince them and compel them. Like, hey, some of what we're doing is because we're limited at this position. You can be the guy that changes those limitations. So if we're not a team that's known for as much of our air assault, known much for our passing, you go after a guy who can pass and say, listen, this is what we want to do conceptually, but this is what we've been limited to be able to do because of the resources we have. If you come, you allow us to expand our playbook. You allow us to expand our offense. And so I think if there were any questions about, you know, Utah not being able to expand on what they're able to do, they now have the pieces in place to expand that passing game, to utilize more of the aerosol. I mean, granted, they're still going to want to win by running the ball. But you look at teams, you look at the NFL, you look at college teams, you look at probably the most prominent college team is, is Alabama and Nick Saban. It wasn't until about the mid-2010s where Nick Saban realized we have to actually include the forward pass. We can no longer go off of game managers and Asia McCarron turning around and handing it off to one of our 15 running backs. we got to start checking the rock. And I think that you know Utah's seen just how close they've been 
to tasting, you know, all the riches of the playoffs, to tasting the riches of a Pac-12 title. And maybe if this one more dimension, adding more of a passing assault to the offense allows that, that's going to be attractive to high school quarterbacks because every high school kid thinks I'm just that one missing piece that they need. And when you're able to show them that literally they can be and they are that missing piece, that opens up things that they're able to do on Saturdays. Do the Utes have the receivers to go with these quarterbacks? I think they do, but I also think if you look at what Utah's done in the transfer portal these last couple of years, I think that too shows that if they don't have them from the high school ranks, if they don't have them from a recruiting class standpoint, that they hit the portal hard, and then that's where you start to find the talent. And I think you know that's a, another topic for another day and a huge big picture topic. But you look at the, their roster right now, I and mean, you've got at least two Pac-12 receivers that have transferred in. Um, you've got some guys that have come in as high school recruits, but if you kind of need a, a jolt, you kind of need a uh, you know somebody that can come in and make an instant impact that you don't necessarily need to spend two years developing and learning the offense. You hit the portal, and I think that you're going to see more and more schools that if they're maybe deficient in one specific area, if they don't have the bodies from a youth standpoint, they'll go hit the portal and not only get older, experienced vets, but guys that are going to come in, and it's a business decision, business move for them. They're coming in more ready than maybe a high school freshman is because these guys really realize that this is their last opportunity. So that gets you a Theo Howard, a Manero McLean, and that gives you an opportunity to start having some more dimensions added to your passing attack. So how is the transfer portal affecting high school recruiting? Well, I'll tell you one thing. With the exception of quarterback, it's really causing high school coaches to pause just how aggressive they've been in recruiting. Now, you're still going to have some schools that they realize that they still need to make a ton of offers. You have some schools that have offered into the two, three hundreds of offers. Then you have other schools that have only made 40 or 50 offers. They've been a little bit more deliberate in their approach, a little bit more picky in the type of uh, the, the targets that they're going after. And so because of that, you're now going to find the portal. You're finding guys that there's no drama. There's no, you know, the, the social mediaization of the recruiting process are no longer an issue. I mean, one of the big things that when we saw guys go back to take unofficial visits in June was the reintroduction of photo shoots. Half these guys are going on visits just to have the Instagram picture. There's no interest in that school. There's no interest from that school in them, but it looks cool on social media. But when you get to a guy who's been in the portal, maybe he's been out of school for two years, he doesn't care about recruiting trips. He doesn't care about official visits. He doesn't care about seeing if he fits the town. He sees an opportunity to get up that depth chart, get on top of that depth chart quick, and it's a business decision. I think you're seeing more college coaches Try to cut out the recruiting drama and just find the guys that need to be there in addition to wanting to be there. And I think you're going to see more and more schools hit the portal hard because, A, you're not having to develop. You're not having to wait. You're not having to redshirt. You're not having as many guys. Yeah, yeah, you're still going to lose guys to the portal, which allows you to go into the portal. But I think you're seeing a different mentality from the guys in the portal and it's not always negative, although there's a lot of people that like to throw shade at guys that go in the portal on Twitter. There are a lot of guys that they just want to play, and that's why they go in the portal. And there's not a clear depth chart, so they find a school where the depth chart's more manageable. So I think you're going to see schools hit the portal that much harder because those guys come with less frills and less drama and more immediate impact ability. Brandon Huffman joined us, National Recruiting uh, covering national recruiting for 24-7, and I am curious what you think of what USC is doing because if Utah is improving, 
But if USC is improving by leaps and bounds, Ute fans still end up frustrated. What's your take on the Trojans? Well, I think they've done a really good job of kind of recapturing their, their brand out West. But what's been fascinating, as good as their 2021 class was, it, it was really good, too. I mean, they had a lot of players from the state of California that decided to stay home, guys that they were losing. If you look at their class this year, there's a heavy influence of out-of-state guys. I mean, if you look at some of the players that they've gotten commitments from, you got Texas, you got Georgia, you got players from outside the state of California. And is that because the California kids just aren't interested? Is that because they, you know, USC sees that maybe the talent in California isn't as strong? You know, there, there may be a couple of reasons. But what you are seeing is that USC is very, very worried and concerned about their national brand fading. And so they've done, they've had a much more concerted effort to go national this year to show that that brand still is alive and kicking. The problem when you do that, when you are strong in a certain region, is that means there's a lot of guys in your backyard that you may be overlooking or may not take commitments from that ultimately and eventually come back to bite you come Saturdays in the fall when they get to college. So there may be some guys percolating out there that would have been normal USC targets in a, in a perfect scenario in a perfect year, and USC, for whatever reason, is looking past them. Those are the guys that go to other Pac-12 schools and then end up torturing programs for three or four years. So – I think it's a bold strategy. I think when you're USC, I've long said this. You can go sign 90% of your class within a 30 to 40 mile radius, then go cherry pick two or three or four guys nationally from Georgia or Texas. But your home base should be California, and yet USC seems to be going on an opposite approach. They kind of are going what Oregon has been doing, where Oregon maybe gets one or two guys from the state. Obviously, demographically, the talent's not as strong in Oregon and California, but Oregon thrives off of going out of their state. I think USC doesn't need to go out of state, but this is what their kind of approach is now under Clay Helton. Let's try to go more national and show that we have that national brand, but then you tend to forget local as well. How much is this imaging and likeness and all that stuff going to affect recruiting? I think it's going to be a huge step in the direction of that's what schools are going to focus on. You know, over the last 10, 15 years, we've seen the arms race from a facility standpoint we've seen one school say oh you're going to build a 50 million facility we're going to build a 51 million dollar facility just so we could say we have the most expensive facility in the conference hiring strength and conditioning coaches and nutrition programs and trying to give all the bells and whistles but now we're seeing a return to hey it's about what we can do to build your own brand what we can do to market you the strength and conditioning is nice the, the, the nutrition program is nice but how are we helping your brand and what, again, I go back to the social mediaization of recruiting. More and more kids are now understanding this is when you build your brand. You don't build it after you've established yourself as a 25-year-old, 30-year-old uh, NBA or NFL star. You establish it when you're 15 or 16. Your parents finally give you permission to get Instagram and TikTok and Twitter. It's not unusual to go to a 7-on-7 tournament or to a camp and see a player have his own small video crew tracking his every move. So now you're starting to see, and this is the first official visit, visit cycle, uh, largely because of the pandemic pushing it back, but this is the first official visit cycle where now when you talk to a kid after his official visit, he talks about the NIL meeting. The, the, the coaches that are, are talking about it, those are the ones that you can tell they understand it's going to be a big thing. The, to me, the biggest part of this is there's 25 guys in the class that are going to sign, three to five maybe, are going to be marketable. There's 20 to 22 guys that think that they're going to have the same cachet as other guys in those classes, and they're going to be greatly disappointed. So college coaches are going to have to massage a lot of egos here when they sign a kid 
and nobody's interested in that kid promoting their product on Instagram because nobody cares about the third string backup left tackle. You're not the quarterback. You know, Trevor Lawrence can go and get all the endorsements he wants and needs, but the backup quarterback who was the 25th pick in that or 25th guy in that class, I think the best example I've used before is if you go back and look at Alabama's 2017 class, nobody in the world and certainly nobody in Tuscaloosa would have cared about Mac Jones and wanted to have him market anything. Everybody would have wanted to go for Tua. Nobody cares about what you did after college anymore. It's what you can do when you get to school. So you're going to have situations like that where guys just aren't going to be marketable. So college coaches, not only do they have to talk about how they're going to help with the name, image, and likeness and the branding, they're going to have to massage the egos of those that there is no interest in. Or someone's going to guarantee them 50 grand because that's going to be the new shtick. Well, and, and, you know, that's been the biggest concern. But, I mean, I realize there are certain parts of the country, and I'm not naming any specific regions, where they seem to spend a high amount of money on recruiting or there's the accusations or the assumptions that large amount of bags. But as reckless as boosters can be, I just don't see them dropping 50 grand per recruit in any class. I mean, I would love to have the kind of money where I could do that. And, shoot, I wouldn't be giving it to a 17-year-old who may or may not transfer out after the first fall practice but that's the thing i think there's going to be a much more judicious process to it so even the boosters are going to say well now we can do it instead of giving 50 grand to every kid we can give 250 to this star quarterback who he's the difference between us going to a regular bowl game on new year's day to now we can play for a national championship i think you're just going to see more players the high-end players top-end players value increase that much more rather than an evening of the playing field that everybody's going to get a piece of the pie. Brandon, as always, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us and talking a little youths and a little recruiting. Anytime, guys. I appreciate you guys having me on. There's Brandon Huffman, National Recruiting Editor for 24-7 Sports, talking a little college football. Back to the NBA with Eric Walden from the Salt Lake Tribune on the changes with the Jazz. We'll do that next. Stay with us. The playoffs may be over for the Utah Jazz, but the season never ends on the Zone Sports Network. From the NBA draft to free agency and on to the summer league, the Zone will be with the Jazz every step of the way as the Jazz front office builds for the future. Your exclusive home of Utah Jazz basketball is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by Eric Walden, jazz writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret, Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Eric, good morning. How's it going, guys? Good. Did your Sunday night get turned a little upside down real quickly? Yeah, a little bit. You know, here I was looking forward to a relatively quiet off season for you know a few days, and then, man, these Jazz just won't let me have a night off. You know. Yeah, just for a few days. I understand what you're saying. So, what was your initial reaction? Not surprised. Um, you know, we've been kind of hearing some rumblings that uh, some some changes were potentially afoot in the in the Jazz front office and. Um, that Dennis was was going to be the odd man out, as it were. So, um, yeah, not surprised at all. Uh, I, I guess 
you know, the timing took me back. I wasn't expecting it to, to come out on a Sunday evening. But, um, yeah, you know, like, like I said, those of us who cover the team had been kind of hearing some rumblings and we've been trying to confirm them and hadn't got there yet. And so um, it, it, it seemed like after, you know, this elimination against the Clippers happened and, and kind of the the bad feelings that took place after that, that, you know, some level of change was inevitable. And this was uh, this was the how it manifested itself. So to draw a line from this to the big picture that Jazz fans really care about, how will this impact more playoff wins happening or not happening? Well, so it's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, I, I think I think this isn't the end. You know, I think there are more changes that are going to be coming uh, over the next few days. I think we're going to see some other shifts in the front office. Um, I do think that, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, okay, does Danny Ainge now come in? Does he take in? Does he take on a big role? I'm hearing that Justin Zanuck is unquestionably the guy who's going to run the show. And if Danny Ainge or, or anyone else come along, uh, they'll be answering to him. Um, I guess, you know, even even with him uh, having been in the Jazz organization for a number of years now, you know, it, it, it was a situation where Dennis pretty much always had kind of final say on things and you know they did I, I was listening to you guys interview Shane Young earlier and, and to his point you know there is while there is this perception that it's you know that, that such front office decisions are kind of unilaterally made by the guy in charge and um, that's not the case you know it is always a team of guys and the Jazz have had a very experienced team of guys um, you know ultimately if there's if there's disagreement or dissent it comes down to one guy to pull the trigger on it, and that's been Dennis. And now we'll see that be Justin Zanuck, and, uh, you know, I expect he'll have slightly different philosophies on where to go personnel-wise than Dennis did. So you'd have to think that with Jay-Z's experience that the franchise is in good hands as far as that goes when they start making decisions how much do you think that the new ownership is going to be involved? Because we saw a track record, particularly after Larry Miller passed, as what Gail Miller was going to do. And I guess, theoretically anyway, that could change. There could be a change in philosophy there. Yeah, I, I do think, you know, we'll see. You know, it's an interesting point, right? Like, we, we someone asked Dennis about uh, the, the influence of Ryan Smith when the Jazz were doing kind of their day after exit interviews with the media, you know, and, and he, uh, he he spoke words that turned out to be kind of prophetic, you know. Um, he mentioned that, you know, regime change is part of the deal with the NBA and that as Ryan Smith got a little more comfortable and then acclimated to the situation that um, he would start to take the franchise in a direction that, that he saw fit. And, yeah, you know, this is this is the first domino falling from that. Um I do expect we're going to see some other changes coming in the front office to that point. In terms of, you know, him dictating like, hey, I want this player, I want that player, I don't know that that will be the case. I think I think his influence comes more in the fact of these are the people who I trust to kind of uh, be the decision makers and, and to be the, the voices who, you know, are, are on that uh, committee of people making making those choices. So, um, 
yeah, I think that's where his real influence will come, you know, in terms of does he bring in Danny Ainge? Does he bring in Shane Battier? Does he, you know, name personnel guy X, Y, or Z? I think that's where you're going to see Ryan Smith's influence uh, more come into play. People might be a little surprised by the name Shane Battier, but that is not the first time I've heard it. You've obviously heard it. You wouldn't be throwing it out there. Um, why do you think that, and what what would the benefits be? Well, so Shane Battier has been uh, in, in the Miami Heat's front office for the last few seasons, and he just recently left his position there, so he's a quote-unquote free agent. I don't know... Uh, at this moment, specifically, what his interest is. Um, you know, I've heard some conflicting things about whether or not he'd want to come to Utah or, or whether he's chasing some position out of the league entirely. Um, but, you know, he, he's considered a smart guy. He's considered, you know, a knowledgeable personnel guy. Um, you know, he obviously uh, was, was a successful right-hand man to Pat Riley and down with the Heat in Miami. So, you know, it's a name that I've heard linked with them, just like we've heard Danny Ainge linked with them. How much, you know, uh, of that is smoke versus fire, I don't know at this point. But, um, again, I'm, I'm hearing that, that Dennis is not going to be the only casualty of, of this change. And so, you know, with some people set to leave or, or have their roles changed, you know, that opens up some spots for other people to come in. What's your good instinct on Mike Conley? I think probably they find a way to bring him back um, just because they absolutely need him back. You know, with with Rudy's contract kicking in and, and Donovan's contract kicking in, they're going to be up against it salary cap-wise. And if they lose Mike, they absolutely cannot replace him with, with a like talent. Um, you know, with anyone who's making any kind of significant money. So, you know, that said, I feel like, you know, this, there's got to be a middle ground sound. Um, obviously, he, you can't bring him back at the number that he made on his last contract uh, just because that would be crazy. And, and the penalties that you'd be paying to the league for being that far over the cap uh, would be astronomical. But, you know, between their need for him and the fact that they're that much better with him and the fact that, you know, he's he's put it out there that he and his wife like it in Utah. I think those are all factors that, that play well into, uh, you know, the possibility of him returning. Now, obviously, he, he played it a little cooler when we spoke to him the day after the season. And, you know, that, that's to be expected to some degree. You don't necessarily want to, if you're in his situation, come right out and say, I'm absolutely, definitely, 100% returning to Utah because, you know, that, that gives him no leverage. But um, I think in the end, there, there's probably a way to make it work that makes both sides happy. So without making people's heads spin with a bunch of math and a bunch of uh, salary cap and luxury tax uh, explanations, you know, as we try to figure out what kind of owner Ryan Smith is going to be, if they bring him back, even – if he's, I don't know, $15 million, $20 million, I've heard all kinds of numbers thrown out there, the number for Ryan would be significantly bigger because of the luxury tax. So if they do bring him back, I guess that tells Jazz fans that uh, Ryan is willing to write really big checks. Right. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. It's like we'd be looking at a guy who in his first two seasons of ownership uh, enabled the team to be 
a, a tax spending team both years. And, you know, nothing against the Millers. They had a certain way of doing business and, and you know, that happened occasionally under them. But uh, I don't recall a time that it ever happened two years in a row and, and certainly not to the degree that we'd be looking at this year if they bring Mike Conley back. That's, yeah, I mean, without getting into the specific numbers, as you mentioned, they'd be looking at paying a hefty a hefty bill to the league for being so far over the cap. So, um, and I mean, as it was this year, they were one of the top, I want to say, five or six spending teams in the league already this past season. So he certainly would be uh, putting his money where his debit card is. In terms of personnel, did the Clippers expose something to the Jazz that they need to correct as far as going into next season goes? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Um, You know, I think the Jazz took an approach of we are going to do these couple of very specific things and we are going to be so good at them that, you know, it won't matter what you throw at us. And we saw the Clippers you know, exploit that to a, to a degree. Um, you know, the Jazz got it done all season long with having uh, Rudy Gobert in the middle and then and then surrounding him with four awesome shooters. Well, how do you beat four awesome shooters? You put five awesome shooters out there. Um, and then, you know, just the fact that all season long, the one defensive issue that the Jazz they didn't consistently have problems with it, but it was it was the most consistent scheme in terms of throwing you know a monkey wrench into their scheme, and that was having uh, five switchable guys. So I think you know the fallout from that is is you're going to see the Jazz perhaps try to get a little more flexible. You know, um, ideally you'd like one or two extra wings who are you know between six seven and, and six ten and who are capable of guarding multiple positions. You would like a guy who's capable of changing the dynamic at the five spot, you know, like like Nick Patum did for the Clippers, uh, just in terms of being able to space and spread the floor, in terms of being able to hit from deep, and, and again, in terms of being able to guard a smaller guy out on the perimeter. Um, do I think that Rudy Gobert has got a really bad rap as a result of that series? Yeah, I do. He still is clearly one of the best defensive players in the league, maybe one of the best defensive players in the history of the league. Um, but, you know, he got put into a bad position of having to pick his poison. You know, everyone got on him about, oh, man, Terrence Mann scored 30 points on Rudy Gobert. Well, yeah, you know, um, not to say that Rudy was perfect, but when he's having to choose between, you know, Paul George or Reggie Jackson getting around a hobbled Donovan and, and Mike Conley and having a clear path to the rim for a layup versus, you know, taking his chances with Terrence Mann, of all people, you know, uh, being able to consistently knock down threes. He made the choice that I think most teams would make in that situation. Um, and, and it just happened to bite them this time. Uh, that said, you know, that, that sure seems like an opportunity for this team to kind of address that. You know, and opposed to having three classic-style, old-school throwback big men in Rudy Gobert, Derek Favors, and Ujoka Azubuki, you know, this seems like an opportunity to add someone in in the vein of Nick Batum, who's smaller, more mobile, and has some shooting touch. So, 
Yeah, versatility is, is the uh, the keyword for the Jazz this summer. The thing is, and I get why you want a Nicholas Batum type, if, if not him specifically, when Rudy was recruiting him a year ago. Um, and I, I get that, but that only works if the other four guys can stay in front of their guy. And I know Donovan was hurt, but, you know, okay, the other three guys stay in front of their guy. If you get the, the fifth shooter, that doesn't solve your defensive issues unless the other guys are defending better. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, this is uh... – that's that's absolutely true. Their perimeter defense really was not uh, operating at peak functionality against the Clippers, <laughs> and part of that is that you know you had Donovan was hobbled and you had Mike Conley who was hobbled. Part of it also is just that they're a naturally small backcourt to begin with, um, and you know you saw with the Clippers having all those guys in there with the long arms. So yeah, they certainly could stand to upgrade in that area, you know, and this is, this is the problem with the NBA, right? Like there's so many good teams and good players that all it takes is, is one bad matchup for your season to fall apart. So um, I think really what the Jazz have learned from this is, um, you know, we saw the back third of their roster really kind of devoted to either Young guy, really young guys who they hoped to develop, who they hoped would kind of come through and, and turn into more, and a few veterans who were like uh, very specific specialists, you know, like Ursan Ilyasova, and who I think maybe they hoped would be that small ball five, but he just his own perimeter, uh, you know, his, his own mobility is so limited at this point that it wasn't going to work. And then you know, a specialist like Matt Thomas, I think what you're going to see them try to do this year is take some of those, you know, 11 through 15 spots and, and hopefully, you know, add a bit more depth with guys capable of defending on the perimeter, add a bit more depth of guys who are, you know, switchable defenders, add a bit more depth of guys who can fill that small ball center role. So we see that there are definite needs on this team. And, you know, maybe they are limited to only specific matchups throughout the league. Because, I mean, we certainly didn't see anyone attack the Jazz with as much success with a small ball switchable lineup as the Clippers did, right? But, uh, you know, Mike Conley brought this up in his exit interview. Like, this is, this is what you have to do in the NBA. You have to have – this is why depth matters. So that you can have guys like that that you can throw out and match a specific situation. So, Eric, you know, Ryan Smith isn't the only new boss in town. You got a new boss at, at, uh, at the Tribune. Are, are you nervous? Oh, that Aaron Falk guy, he's, uh, I wouldn't as trust anyone him. who's ever met Aaron knows, he is an extremely scary and volatile guy. Um, right. <laughs> you know, I personally would have rather worked for someone who's a little more calm and, and, and collected and, and with a, you know, non-plus demeanor, but that's just me. Uh, I guess I'm just going to have to make do with this guy who's ranting and raving and raging all the time. But, um, and, and for those who obviously don't know Aaron, I'm, I'm, you know, being sarcastic and smart ass like my MO is Aaron's an awesome guy. Um, the only nervousness I have is that I've worked under Joe Baird, uh, the outgoing sports editor for a lot of years, for well over a decade. And I love Joe, and I'm very used to working with Joe. And change is hard for everybody, right? But yeah. that said, I know Aaron, and I know what he's about. 
and I'm excited to see what he brings to the table. And I think uh, our readers of the Salt Lake Tribune are going to be happy with the changes that uh, they see coming from us going forward. Because I'm a little nervous what's going to happen when they replace DJ as my partner. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know something that DJ doesn't? No, 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 not at all. (laughs) Just teeing me up again. Welcome to my world, Eric. Random bomb to be dropping in that moment. (laughs) Nothing random about it. (laughs) He was locked in on that for a while. All right, we'll let you go from this uncomfortableness now, and you can just uh, take off and do your own thing, Eric. Yeah, unfortunately, once you've been exposed to some PK uncomfortableness, it kind of lingers with you for a while. So, um, it does. Disease. Yeah, disease. I'm, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna throw myself into some work, and we'll see if we can. Uh, we'll see if we can get that rinsed away ASAP. There's Eric Walden from the Salt Lake Tribune, beat writer covering the Utah Jazz. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines next on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag NBA. Gets a screen from Cousins, top of the key. Driving left, stepping back, straight away three. He buries it. Paul George is in a zone. 31 points. L.A. left to right with George. Down the right alley. George into the body of Booker. Puts it up off the window and in. PG 13 with 35. The first one from George. It's good. A new playoff career high for Paul George. 40 points in a must-win game on the road. And the Clippers beat the Suns 116-102 to force a game six. Clippers still down 3-2, but they win in Phoenix. Paul George explodes for 20 points in the third quarter. Small ball getting it done for the Clippers again, and Aiton was powerless to overwhelm it at the other end. Well, if they don't give him the ball, of course he's going to be powerless. I mean, I don't know about small ball. DeMarcus Cousins had 15 points. Uh, In 11 minutes. So, he's a pretty big dude. Took 12 shots in 11 minutes, and Aiton's taken nine shots in 37 minutes. It makes no sense to me. Still, he was only out there 11 minutes. The other 37 minutes, they were still able to win the game. Morris had a big night. Reggie Jackson was big in the fourth quarter. But the 41-point, 13-rebound, six-assist performance by Paul George was awesome. In those 11 but, minutes is when they took the lead early in the game and maintained it. I mean, they lost it for one second, and then they went right back up. Is this a recipe for winning two more games in the series? How many more times can Paul George shoot 75%? He's 15 of 20. We find out with Game 6 coming up Wednesday night. Tonight... The Hawks and the Bucks. Bucks are trying to go up three games to one in the Eastern Finals. Trey Young, sprained ankle, bone bruise in his foot. MRI, he's listed it as questionable for tonight. Well, if he doesn't play, they lose. Yep. And the Bucks would take a commanding 3-1 lead and head back home and try to close it out. Philadelphia 76ers guard Ben Simmons has informed Australia's Olympic basketball team he will not play in the Tokyo Games. Instead, 
He's going to spend the offseason working on skill development. And in a related story, the Australians broke out the champagne. <laughs> we don't have to play him and have him missing free throws. Yeah. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. Four-time Pro Bowl wide receiver Demarius Thomas announced his retirement. Went on social media and had a video, said, I'm Demarius Thomas. I finally came to a decision to hang it up. I'm going to retire, and I'm going to retire at Denver Bronco. I'm done, and I did well. He's 33 years old. The Broncos going to honor him September 26th when they play the Jets. And he played for the Jets in 2019. So getting his teams together. And he'll be honored there, but at 33, he's hanging it up. Four-time Pro Bowler, so good career there. Maybe he can have a pass thrown to him by Tim Tebow. John Facenda, longtime narrator of NFL Highlights, whose voice became synonymous with the NFL, is the winner of the Pro Football Hall of Fame's 2021 Pete Rozelle Radio TV Award. Facenda died in 1984. He was a TV news anchor in Philadelphia. When NFL Films creator Ed Sable heard his distinct voice describing some highlights... In 1965. So he read scripts, held that job for 19 years until his death at age 71. So they're going to honor him, presumably have some family members there or something. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. So they tell us, there's a fly ball to right. That one is on its way. The Dodgers go back to back to open the series. Betts now Muncie. And the Dodgers, two to nothing in the first. And a swing and a drive, deep right center field, way back, going, going, it is gone, goodbye! Bang, zoom goes Kyle Schwarber on a 3-1 pitch with home run number 24. Another multi-home run game for Kyle Schwarber. There goes the runner, swinging a fly ball, left field. Barrera going back, still going back, it's gone, bees win! Jack Mayfield with a two-run homer to provide the exclamation point on a walk-off win for the Bees. Steve Klauke on the call there as the Bees beat the Las Vegas Aviators 3-1 on Jack Mayfield's two-run shot. Series finale tonight, Smith's Ballpark 6-30. Get your tickets at slbs.com or listen to the game here on the Zone Sports Network with Steve on the call. You also heard the Dodgers opening the game with a couple of homers, and they beat the Giants 3-2, open that series up. Dodgers back within two and a half games of the division lead in the NL West. Kyle Schwarber on a tear. Two homers, that's 15 in 17 days. Nobody's done that before in Major League Baseball history. Nationals beat the Mets 8-4. Can you imagine 15 homers in 17 days? That is a groove to end all grooves right there. Yeah, obviously, man, with the long ball. I don't know what he's hitting during that time if uh, you're just isolating on the home runs. I'm not sure what his uh, overall production has been. There's more to the game than home runs, but as far as the home runs go, that's impressive. Brewers beat the Cubs 14-4. to Milwaukee's won six in a row. They scored ten times in the eighth inning to break that one wide open. L.A. Angels star Mike Trout transferred to the 60-day injured list by the team, so he'll be back after the All-Star break. Second best player on that team. 
Trout swinging a bat in a cage Monday for the first time since he strained his right calf on May 17th. They say he's more than 50% healed. He's going to do a minor league rehab assignment. What do you think? Inland Empire Class A ball? Because then he can just go home at night. Or he's going to play for the Bees. Well, you know, you keep hearing about sleeping in your own bed. Mm-hmm. Well, bring him to AAA and just bring the bed here. See? You always hear that. You're a problem We're solver. sleeping in our own beds. Well, then wherever you go, just, I mean, these, these are multi-million it. dollars. Bring the bed there if it's that big of a deal to sleep in your own bed. You hear that all the time. We're sleeping in our own beds. Bring the beds with you. You're good to go. Ship them wherever you are. Boom. Set them up. There you go. Here's your bed. Trout eligible to return July 17th is when his uh, time on the 60-day injured list would be up. Angels beat the Yankees 5-3. Shohei Otani clubbed his 26th homer of the year. Your reference to the second best player on the team. I meant Anthony Rendon. Oh, okay. <laughs> what is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call him at 801. 295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up, our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland at 830, former BYU coach, former Fresno State coach. He coached Paul George, and his guy had a game last night. We'll talk with Steve at 830. Jonathan Feingen, Houston Riders, Houston Rockets writer for the Houston Chronicle, will join us at 9 o'clock. Change in Houston, PK. Upsetting everything, turning it all around. How soon will they be back in the Western Conference? We'll talk with Jonathan at 9 o'clock. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The question of the day, coming up next. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, The Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The question of the day, through all the injuries and whatever else, how impressive are the Clippers? Very, Very. Absolutely, man. Injuries. I mean, we're still talking about the Jazz injuries. One leg. Uh, no legs on their best player. And they're two games away from going from the finals. Paul George, shouldering the load. And role players stepping up. And coaches. Ty Lu. Yeah. Burnishing the rep. What's he doing? Burnishing the rep. Burnishing? Yeah, it's like shining or polishing. You've heard the word. I have not. Like that. No, I'm impressed. You're Relax. a wordsmith, don't. man. Come on. <laughs> Burnishing, you've heard that. Word. I have not. Don't don't run from it. You like that word? I'm all for it. Never heard it before. Burnishing. He's won a title, and that's awesome, but he had LeBron. It's amazing how guys who win titles have good players. That's shocking. That racist Phil Jackson won 11, didn't he? Yeah, he had good players. 
according to Pippin. <laughs> How can I? I thought only white Republican conservatives could be racist. Now Phil Jackson's racist too. Yep, you weren't in the <laughs> locker room. You don't know. You're right. I don't. That hence the question. Although I have been in the that locker was what, room with that was Phil what, Jackson. That was what times. he said. It's a quote from Scotty who oh, was figured, yeah. talking to somebody. Yeah, he dropped that yeah. on uh, Dan Patrick is where he did the interview where he said this. Well, he did it at GQ well before I showed you that last week. Yeah, Phil Jackson's racist. Uh, P.S. on the word front. We may have a special surprise for both of you a little bit later on the word front, so stay tuned for that. I got nowhere to go till 10. It depends on if the mail gets here in time. <laughs> so, of course, Ty Lue had, good, had a great player. It's the way it works. Boy, but he, now he's got a great player, a two-time champ and finals MVP who's hurt. Yeah. And they keep fighting back. Yeah, it's impressive to see. Your injuries, all right, well, you you coulda, you woulda, not all those things. I mean, the injuries are there. They're real. But leave that for the Jazz and the Nets and the Lakers. All the teams the are Clips, lost. Yeah, the Nuggets, whoever else you want to go down the list. But the Clippers keep fighting through it. Eric says PG's playing out his mind. It's a deep team that definitely just swung the momentum in their favor. Uh, for the time being, I mean, I don't know if there's any long-standing momentum. Brian says, I never thought we'd be talking about a Clippers team that plays with heart. But here we are. Yeah. And g- give me some more analytics. How do you measure that? Matt says, well, the Clippers are better than I thought. I still haven't watched any games since the Jazz were eliminated, though. I just check out the final scores. Well, who gives a crap about you? <laughs> <laughs> so what? <laughs> I think he speaks for a lot of people. Well, then you better not show highlights on your big talking sports, then, if he speaks for a lot of people. We show highlights. Why? If a lot of people don't care, why are you doing it? A lot of people do, even though a lot don't. Still thousands. There's millions of people in the state, PK. Plus, you got nothing else to show. There's that, too. <laughs> what do you show? The best stuff we've got. Well, what if you had better stuff? Well, if we had better stuff, we'd show it. But we don't, so we're showing this. <laughs> it's like process of elimination. Simple math, huh? Yeah, we're not putting color bars up. Nah, never mind. I don't feel like it. Call it a night, guys. Well, like PK a, and I just leaning back here and just There was other things you could have put on, but you've made the decision to go elsewhere. Not naming names. <laughs> yeah. I'm, Mich- av- I'm available, just saying. Michelle says, PG was sensational. Yeah, no but they are not going to win the championship without Kawhi. Daring PG to come through with six more of those. That's probably uh, accurate, but that doesn't matter. It's the the, the heart, the displaying en route and doing what they're doing. I mean, they had two starters out now. They got two. And you can, Abaka, Mm -hmm. sort of forgotten about him. Yeah, if it's long enough. Slips your mind. But certainly, too, Zubach's been the starting lineup. He's had some nice games. Mm-hmm. He's out now. Yep. And it still doesn't matter. There's clearly th- three rotation guys are out. No problem, man. They're still Winning. competing yeah. at a high level. That's very, very impressive. Thomas says they're better without Kawhi. 
I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't either. I think they've what are they four and three now without Kawhi? I don't know, but uh, I wouldn't think they would be. the The thing that's impressive to me is they're competitive without Leonard. That's what matters. They're not taking any excuses that are available. We're injured, and he just gets so tired of the excuses. When is a reason an excuse, or when is an excuse when a reason? Lose. Yeah. That's when it is. So in the other three games in the series, it was an excuse? I don't think they're using any excuses. Jeff says, meh. What have they did that we have not did? Irregardless. Nice, Jeff. Wedging in all the classics. Say it again. Meh. What have they did that we have not did? Irregardless. Advance to the conference finals. There it is. <laughs> Isn't that obvious? <laughs> I don't think he's making a serious point. I think he just wanted to drop the legendary Carl Malone line and then irregardless. Okay. All right. Maybe a little truth in that. Maybe he doesn't want to get too wound I up about the Clippers. I carrier so much, I ignore the bad grammar and go for the point. Yes. I mean, that you have to, you have, to have, you have to be able to do when you listen to all these guys now, particularly all these ex-players up there. They're not... Exactly. In English scholar materians. The what? <laughs> Scholarmatarians. Yeah. That's, that's a new word. I like English it. English scholarmatarian. We need a list of all these words. We come up with them, but then we forget them. Scholarmatarians. Oh, you've heard it. Come on, you know you have. I don't think I have. I like it though. Well burnish your dictionary. Yeah, burnish your dictionary. That's good. How about the next time we have a coach on and they're talking about the recruits, you know, like the signing day when they do the, the interviews? Like, oh, that's great that they run a four three forty, but are they scholarmentarians? Sure. Yeah. Throw that out there and see how Kyle or Kalani reacts. Have to have that. Neil Bitter. With the question of the day, how impressive are the Clippers? He says, well, it certainly helps when the refs won't call fouls on you. The refs. The Suns shot four more, five more free throws than the Clippers. They largely just let him play. 15 free throws. For the Clippers and 20 for the Suns, that is not a high total for either team. So you get deep in the playoffs and they just let stuff go. Yeah. Yeah. I want to see guys play, play through it. The refs. How could you possibly be a sports fan if you just go to the refs? If that's your big argument, the refs. It just makes no sense to me why you would bother turning on the television at all, if it's about the refereeing. That's why I couldn't tell you one referee's name. I know nothing about them. Scott Foster. Oh, oh you no. know a ref's name. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know what Scott who, who Scott, Scott Foster is and what he looks like. Sure. Oh, What, and what they, about Kenny Maurer? Okay, I know that, but I don't know the, the uh, face. Um, I mean, I'm sure I do. You do. Yeah, but, but I couldn't place yeah. who Kenny Mauer is you, versus you this guy. You don't name and face, but you're not going to put those together. Yeah. 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 And when they go to Steve Harvey, well, you see, he hit him in the face. I love when they go to that. And it is, it's a question of whether that toe came down in bounds. Thank That's, you. 
<laughs> Thanks, Coach. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Patrick Beverly, man, talk about sweep the leg karate kid style, too. And you can't do that. I mean, you can, but you shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> that was brutal. Just plowing through, Chris Paul. That's heart. Give me heart. Can't take guys' legs out. Fortunately, he landed on him. Broke his fall. He was aggressively playing it. It was a foul. He got charged with a foul. I think it was a flagrant foul. Great. He didn't get thrown out. He's going to make Chris Paul think. That's the way you have to play. You got to lay it all out. Say what you want about Beverly. Like him, dislike him. And I would imagine you would dislike him. You're a finesse player. Uh, that that would get under your skin. I can see that. That's You'd like him if he's on your team. You don't like him when he's on the other team. I don't have a team, so it doesn't matter to me. I want guys to play with heart. And if you cross the line a little bit, I'd rather have that than just having some guy kind of shadow run out to the corner and watch some no-name dude go for 40. Come on. You want to talk about the majority of people who are agreeing? That's what they want. They want to see some fight, some passion. Not everything. Well, he's got an off-the-bounce corner three on a Tuesday, so he's got a 62.7% chance of making it. That's nice and all, and that's important. But sometimes it comes down to manning up, and the Clippers are manning up. I don't think they're going to win the series either. I certainly don't think they're going to win the title, but they're manning up. Paul George showing a ton of heart for a guy who's taking a ton of grief and gagged away one of the games by missing a couple of free throws, probably. We don't know exactly what would have happened. Yeah, but I think that. he's played well enough in this series to let that go. I mean, you're not going to play just a couple perfect, of games ago. Yeah, but you're not going to play a perfect series. And he, I mean, yes, he missed those two free throws, but well, when he they missed aren't here without him. He's carrying him. That could have made a difference and kept it a one possession game. I don't know what would have happened. I'm never one of these guys unless it's literally the last play of the game. Uh, to say, well, then everything would have been. I mean, you take away those five or six points that Dick Pavetta took and gave away the Jazz, and they would have had a title. I mean, there was a quarter and a half to go. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what would have happened afterward. Uh, but all I know is George is showing a ton of heart, and that's that's what I look for. And I think you need that. I mean, you also need the analytics, too. You need those guys who do all the numbers. I heard in baseball that uh, they may never travel the broadcasters again because their seats have been taken by analytic guys on the planes. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) And that's the end of that. Yeah. And so they've been bringing those guys, and I think analytics in baseball, that's the most important sport to have that because every (laughs) single pitch is— more one-on-one battles. It's more true. Yeah. Analytical. Literally every single pitch, you can analytic it, so to speak. And so, yeah, I heard that, that, that there's some teams that the, the word is now. How are the analytic guys more valuable on site than they are? I wonder what the logic is there. Real-time results? I, I, don't, I don't know, but that's what I saw. Nightingale writes a thing every weekend that I look and read. I, I read that, too. And that, uh, that there's spots on the plane, and so they don't want to pay extra. Have been taken by these guys. And there's probably, I don't know, is there 10 of them? Who knows? Yeah. I mean, obviously it's a big, big business there. And so they're more important than telling you what you just saw anyway. Uh, so that, that's that's what they're saying. We'll see, we'll see what happens here. 
next year. I know it's important to the people, and I get they have professional pride and they want to be there. I respect that 100%. I'm not sure how much it matters to the viewer. And some teams have, and he wrote that probably because somebody told him about that, that that's what they're thinking about doing. So, and I don't discount that in basketball. I think it's extremely important. But so is pride and heart and determination. And the Clippers are showing it. Even in defeat, which is what I think will happen. I don't think they'll have six more wins in them in this particular postseason. Do you think they'll have two more? Are you asking me will they win the series? That's it right there. I mean, I don't see why not. These games, to a degree, have been toss-ups. So, yes, I think they're very much capable, and it would be as impressive pretty much as anything that I've seen. Again, I always have recency bias. I've said that a million times. Whatever's right in front of me is the greatest. Some people look back the old days. I tend to look right now. So, yeah, if they were to be down 3-1 in a conference final, missing guys left and right, literally, and then come back and win it, that would be so awesome. Well, they've done it twice. I just don't see how they do it this time. And they won that game because Paul George shot 75%. And I can't believe he's going to do that two more times. And so what is their other their other path to victory? I, I suppose there's a couple guys that maybe they can get a little more out of that they didn't well, go off last night. But You're just looking at offense, which is, is, is amazing to me because you always so are go they to gonna, defense. But are they going to hold the Suns to 102 points two Easily. more times? Hmm? I don't know that they will, but can they? Absolutely. I mean, who on the Suns really scares you offensively, particularly when they just virtually ignore Aiton all the time? (laughs) That's positive. I've been hammering this the entire series. Guy is a massive weapon, but you can't do that. You got to get up as many threes as you possibly can. Great. If you want 40 threes, then take the first 40 possessions and shoot threes and get it over with. Well, they, they didn't shoot 40 threes. They didn't even shoot 30 threes. I know, but that's what we hear here. Hear. We do hear that here, but that is not why the Suns got beat. They were 9 of 26, and they didn't shoot the three well. Neither did the Clippers, particularly. And maybe that's the thing they they'll do. They got beat because the Clippers are showing a ton of heart. That's why they got beat. That's what I'm talking about. The Clippers jumped on them early. And came oh. out fired up. Although that lead went away, and then and they had it, to jump on him a second time. Right, and we've seen that Which a million times. Normal. When you use up all the energy to get there, you don't have anything to sustain it. And then it was gone as quickly as it was there at 6160, I think it was. The Clippers went right back up. It's like it didn't even happen. No problem. It went right back to 7, 9, yep. 16, and, and then it was basically garbage time. That was hard. And these Clipper role players, that's that's what I want. Give me guys like Reggie Jackson any day. Yeah. Play with emotion. And Beverly, yeah, mocking Chris Paul when he was out on the floor. Probably not the best idea, but that's how he's in the league. Yeah, He's in, in the is... league to be somebody's best friend and help you up. No, he's got a scrap like that or he's not in the league. Yeah. That's his I don't want these guys niche. to be friends. I don't care what you think of me. That is his niche and his uh, his deal. Yeah, and he's been in the league several years now. And the Clippers got rid of what they viewed as uh, bad chemistry guys. And he wasn't one of them. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) (laughs) 
Lay it on thicker. It's the <laughs> truth. It's right before you. People, do you agree with me or do you agree with Stat Boy over here? Oh, nice. <laughs> What's it going to be? Make a decision right now. Me, Hart, or Stat Boy? What do you want? Get on the text line. Get on the Twitter line. 64636 many years ago. I could. I would have never <laughs> been able to recite that in a million years. Keyword what? zone, come on. <laughs> I forgot the keyword zone. Good work. You know, I was going to say keyword K-fan. They give you a little <laughs> oh, nice. blast from the past. That's a blast from the past. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Didn't we have that? Did we have that over there? It's going way Possibly. Back. Uh, I don't know, man. Some, just, I, I have getting, this deja gotta, vu of saying keyword out, K-fan. I'm going to dig out the cobwebs. Uh, and I'm probably wrong on it because I never, I never said that. You guys always said it. I think that's what people want. You're going to go down, go down with heart, go down with passion. And the Clippers are showing it, man. Down two starters. And then they open up like a a, a 20 to 5 lead. Suns had no excuse. They rolled over. It's pathetic. Can't just show up, said Monty Williams. Yep, that was his post-game quote. You can't just show up. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with them 100%. They did. I don't know if they thought they are all that. And the home court, the home court. Screw the home court. Especially against the Clippers. Their list of road wins is impressive in this postseason. Well, as just virtually every team who wins a title. Champions know no venues. Write that down. <laughs> Champions know no venues. Right. <laughs> Oh, man. You can even throw in a don't if you want the double negative. And a five and four on the road in the postseason. Got a winning record. Yeah, how about that, man? And they'll have to win a game seven on the road if they're going to win this series. Yep. So, But first things first, win game six at home because they've certainly given away some home games in this, series, in this uh, postseason as well. So we'll see how that plays out for the Clippers. When's that, tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah, it's every other day. Yeah, good. I like which the led, rhythm of it. Which led to a great Marcus <laughs> Morris Sr. <laughs> he basically eats, sleep, and bleep basketball at this time of year. Playing every other day. Well, I like the uh, rhythm of it. Yeah, I'm into this series big time. I'm, and probably because I, mean, I have a connection to, to the Valley, for sure. And I covered the Clippers to an extent. I wasn't a full-time beat writer, but covered many, many of their games back in the early 90s. So, and obviously I lived in both communities. Uh, so, I am way into it. The Clippers continue to impress me. Paul George continues to impress me. Rewriting his postseason legacy. Yeah, is this his national coming out uh, to people who thought he was a gagger? Is this what this yeah, is about? Yeah, I think they're quiet. And if they lose... Unless he does something really horrific in the loss. I suppose if in the clinching game he misses two free throws again, or if he has some uh, horrible shooting performance. But, yeah, but he's, see, he's averaging 29, 30 points a game. He's been bringing it game after game, series after series. So The horrible shooting performance is awesome. Because it means he kept shooting. Yeah. He's trying. Yeah. Sometimes they don't go in. Ball didn't go in to hoop. Nice of you to show up. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to mix and match the college and the pro game. I remember one time we're down in Albuquerque and 
Dick Hunsaker is coaching for the Utes. And Chris Burgess is up there at the free throw line. I don't know if you guys remember this. And I think he airballed like three or four free throws. And the place is just going nuts. Mm-hmm. Right? And after the game, Hunsaker brings us in the little locker room. Much easier to deal with than the other guy. And uh, he said, I'm so proud of Chris Burgess. Sitting there and why, man? He just he airballed all these free throws. And the sewer rat in the pits going nuts and all that stuff. <laughs> the sewer rat. Yeah. <laughs> and all those 80-year-old women who are flipping the bird in uh, Albuquerque. Because, I mean, that's the only Normally show Normally this would be an exaggeration, but this stuff <laughs> no, actually, <laughs> actually happens. I've experienced it firsthand. It's exactly so, what happens. And he says, I'm so proud of him. I said, why? He said he tried to make him. And I thought... Well, coach, of course he tried to make him. And he said, no, what I'm saying is he went with his motion. Now, it's embarrassing to shoot the air balls for sure, right? No question about it. He said, and so if he didn't want to shoot air balls, he clearly Uh, could have shot them to hit the rim. He could have flung it up there, yeah. 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 And then he would have just missed a free throw. And it would have been no big deal. He missed a free throw. Happens multiple times in literally every game that's ever played. Most likely, you know? And so Hunsaker's point was he tried to make the free throws. I thought about it for a second. It took me a second to figure out what he was saying. But he's absolutely right. And so if Paul George goes out and has a 5-for-27 performance, all right, that sucks. But the fact that he was still trying and competing... There's something to be said for that and not passing the ball, figuring, I don't want to be the goat here and have you people get on my rear end because I was under 25%. He has like the most games of anybody. I've heard this stat multiple times. It goes in one ear and out the other. Not entirely, but I don't remember. Exactly. You're right. Right. Exactly. Yes. Thank you. And so he has the most playoff games of uh, shooting 25% or worse or whatever it might be. And that's not a good stat to have, sure, obviously. Uh, so if this should happen, whether it's game six, game seven, or in the final, as long as he's still aggressively playing his game, that's what matters. See, I think that's where the analytics thing backs him up, though. Because keep shooting, do your thing, and he's had two of those games in the postseason this year. Game one against the Jazz, he was his shooting percentage was awful. Four of 17? It's 23.5%. And he had another game in the Sun Series where he shot 25. But for this postseason, his numbers are good. He's shooting 44% from the floor. That's a good number. And he's had to be volume shooter guy, especially since Kawhi went down. And he hasn't blinked. Kawhi went down, and Paul George has kept grinding. There have been massive games last night. There's been a really bad game the game before. But you look over the course of, what is it now, seven games without him? He's averaging 31 points a game. Yeah, he, he hasn't blinked. Uh, yeah. I mean, it comes and goes a little you're bit. You're just going to go right to the numbers. Yeah. That's what you do. But to me, it's, it's, I, don't, I don't necessarily look at FGAs and all that stuff. I look at what type of shots you're taking. Be aggressive. Oh, no. and he's going through the legs and rocking back into a three straight away last night. That and was, he's also going to the yeah. basket. Yes. And he has most, most times an athletic advantage. He was blessed with a great athletic body that he has taken care of. And so he's 
But he does all the, it. he does all the little things too. He's been coached up. He's got the basketball IQ. He's jumping into guys and creating separation, hitting them with the left shoulder. But that long right arm, which is the gift, obviously, you know, those long arms and flicking it high off the glass. His shot blockers aren't getting to that. That they're just not getting to that. He's he's too big. He's too athletic. When he knows what he's doing and going to the hoop and bumping you with the left shoulder and and throwing the ball up there with the right hand, you're not getting to it. No. Heck of a player. Clippers showing a ton of heart this series. And that's what I like. And I, I got to say, it's tough to say, I thought the Jazz didn't show enough in game six. And I'm, but we're supposed to cheerlead. I get it. But watching that show just over and over again, that really, really bothered me. And it stuck with me. If you're going to lose, and somebody's got to lose every game that's played in my sport, not yours, uh, that... There has to be some fight. Go there has down. to be some pushback. Yeah. If they have a run, then you have to have a run. Like the Suns did last night. I mean, they gave up that huge run to open the game, but they came back and tied the thing up. And then the Clippers had another run. But yeah. There's got to be some back and forth, as opposed to you're the bug on the windshield for 24 minutes. That's the type of stuff that... That bothers me. And the Clippers win or lose here, man. I think they can hold their heads high. And that's important. And because I, this should be out and. And I guess on paper they are out and. And they're still down in the series 3 2. But they could have rolled over and been done and been off to Cancun now. And Cancun no. on three. I would have picked a different location. Well, that was the line. So credit them. And I'm expecting all sorts of fight tomorrow. This doesn't surprise me if it goes seven at all. Guys getting contracts out of this? Reggie Jackson's a free agent on the minimum. Nichols Batum's a free agent on the minimum. Well, these guys are NBA players, yeah, so they're, they're both getting I, more money. I, I yeah. think they would be in the NBA either way. I mean, and I'm somewhere not, else, break up the Clippers in their depth. And I don't know that that's what's on their mind right now. That's the great thing about it; that'll take care of itself. Give it another month. Yeah, they're both making less than three million bucks, so there ought to be paydays out there for those guys. Sure. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't really concern myself with that. They're all less than $3 million. I mean, that's life-changing money to me. I wouldn't have any idea what that would be like. Uh, I'm a paycheck-to-paycheck guy. Always have, always will be. And that's the way it is, and I'm fine with it. And that's that's the way I was brought up. And I, for a while there, we didn't have a paycheck when he lost his job, speaking of my father. So uh, those guys get, get whatever you get, and, and good, good, good on you. I, I'm not a sports fan. Uh, who worries about the money stuff? Uh, that, and I can see where you're coming from there. How deep are the Clippers though next year? I think that's the how question. deep is their love. No, I don't know. I don't know what the roster is going to be, so I don't know. Right. I'm assuming that those guys aren't on the roster because they go get paid somewhere else. I don't know. I, I Balmer isn't lacking for money. Why would you assume that? What difference does it make to him? Because I don't know that they have bird rights on them. 
But we don't need to get into what the CBA the now. Bird rights. <laughs> That's their ability to resign them. You followed the NBA long enough rights. to know. I'm talking about heart passion. You're talking about he shoots 42% and bird rights. Does that sum up the difference between me and you You're right welcome. here? You're welcome. Bird rights, money. I'm hey. talking about passion, schoolyard basketball. He's talking about bird rights hey. and how much cash you're going to get. What the hell do you have to say now, Yuck? Bird law is an important thing to know about, PK. Not right now when you're going into game six. Is that the biggest thing we've got to be worried about? Bird rights, bird laws right now. Here's a bird, and he's right on top of you. And you know what I hope he does to you? Larry Bird will block my shot. <laughs> when we come back. That's a nice, nicely done, by the way. You're welcome. Bizarreness in the neighborhood. What animal was standing in the middle of the road last night? A bird. We will get to that next. DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. There are a couple of reasons that I didn't become a doctor. Same reasons you what, didn't become what? a paleontologist. Why do you crack a smile and well, then make just, a joke? I'm just saying, like, yeah, there's a couple of reasons I wasn't a lawyer. Number one, the LSAT scared me. Number two, I thought I'd fail miserably. And number three, I didn't think I was smart enough. So, yeah, there are just a couple of reasons why I didn't become a lawyer. Can I make a point without you attacking me? I'm not attacking you. Like, you've never talked about wanting to be a doctor before. To me, this seems like you were just right on the cusp of going to medical school. And then just these one or two little things came up and made you think, no, I'm not going to do that. Doctor. 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 Can you not attack me? You know, it bugs me when you do that. Doctor. 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 Stop playing that. And doctor. Well, we miss anyone? Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Mark Miller Subaru. So, PK, I'm driving down the road last night. It's cooling off. Late evening. It's probably about halftime of the game. Ran out. Got some ice cream. Yeah. And driving down the middle of the road in the neighborhood. And it's close enough. We see some wildlife there. We don't see a lot, but we'll see deer in the neighborhood, that kind of stuff. See them in the headlights? Squirrels running around. Yeah, it was still daylight, so no headlights. But yes, I do see deer in the headlights at night coming home sometimes. Can you drive it home with one headlight? Sing it. Underrated song. There's an animal standing in the middle of the road that I have never seen in the neighborhood before. And I always associated this. I mean, I know... A cockatoo? No, it's not a cockatoo. (laughs) And I know this animal is in the wild because... You, s- you know this animal's what? In the wild in Utah. It's, it's around your street. Yeah. I mean, it's not like there's a... Uh, no, I didn't know it was around our street, though. I didn't did really now. know it was in Salt Lake. You well, saw I it. did when I came around the corner and yeah. saw it. Yeah. California. Condor. I thought to see it, you had to, like, drive a, you know... G- people go hunting outside a Roosevelt. They do? They see it. Uh, yeah. A whale. Right. It wasn't a whale, and it wasn't a Bengal tiger, okay? Because these are things that aren't in Utah. An antelope. No? was not an antelope. Uh, what are you talking about? The Bengals, the Brighton Bengals, they're here, and you will hear of them this year. Their new school's going up, man. They got windows and the beautiful views. Tom Sherwood's an awesome principal. Don't be telling me that the Brighton Bengals are not here. Random Brighton information. Very nice. <laughs> Where's Landon Lander Barton when you need him? 
uh, going straight to the NFL. Forget forget college. Good point. (laughs) He looks better than everybody. A moose. You don't have to have a fine tuned. He looks like a moose. Right? But it was not a moose. You were right. It was a bird. California condor. It was not a California condor. It was a turkey. It was a turkey. A wild turkey standing in the middle of the road. How do you know it was wild? Well, I suppose I don't. I wonder if somebody's pets escaped. Could have been very tame. A turkey? A tame turkey. My in-law's neighborhood has a turkey that wanders around the neighborhood that just, it's... Right. It goes more... Goes so more, just like eating people's gardens or whatever? Yeah, it just, just cruises around. I don't even know what turkeys eat. What do they eat? Uh, uh, different things. What depends on what, you know, is it uh, Christmas? Is it Thanksgiving? <laughs> <laughs> depends on a particular time of the year, you know what I mean? Maybe That's in the summer, point. a little lighter. In the winter, a little heavier. Yeah. So I, you can't answer that. It's one answer fits all turkeys. Come on. I don't know where it came from, and I don't know where it went. There's a... There's a wild turkey. Or an escaped tame turkey. You can't really domesticate a turkey. Turkey's doing tricks. Fetch. Roll over. Heal. Come on. <laughs> it's a wild turkey. Even if it's somebody's pet. Well, you could train it, and then you, you do like they do at SeaWorld. You give them treats. You, you want to ch- you want to teach the turkey to be obedient. You give him a treat, and he says, gobble, gobble, gobble. <laughs> you crack yourself up. You're over there laughing at your own you bad joke. Look at his face. I mean, he's the one who does it. Yuck. Are you <laughs> encouraging him? Here, here's the thing. Because this, like I said, my in-laws have a turkey that wanders around their yeah, neighborhood. Yeah. And this turkey doesn't give two you-know-whats about if your car's in the road. He'll just two cross Two turkey craps. Yeah, turkey craps. Good point. Yeah. He just owns the neighborhood, essentially. So right. Maybe you have a new neighbor. All right, we'll see. See you when I go home today if the turkey's out there in the middle of the road. <laughs> Why did the turkey cross the road? <laughs> Hopefully to crap on your yard. <laughs> <laughs> That's already what the neighborhood dogs do. If you're walking your dog, pick up after your dog. Come Where's on. the albino alligators to take care of that problem? Asleep at the bottom of the moat, I guess. I don't know what turkeys are doing in your hood. I don't know. First but time the, I've seen it. There's got to be more than one, though. I only saw one. It could well be more. I than know, one. but there's got to be. They travel in packs, flocks. What's a bunch of? Yeah, you heard that Australian band? <laughs> a bunch of turkeys, flock of seagulls, flock of turkeys. Well, you go up to Wasatch, play golf, and you see turkeys all over the place, and there's several of them. It's called a rafter of turkeys. Yeah, or a flock. Let's just go with. Flock. So I, I don't like know the that there would just be a singular rogue turkey. That's what this looked like, but the other ones could have been you know, over on the you know under somebody's tree, and I didn't see it. Or yeah, something. that's what I'm saying. It's Behind probably the hedge. probably more than one. I don't I don't know that, but every I time as I look in st- my interactions with turkeys, which have been numerous, when you go to Wasatch, you see several, many, just virtually. They every just time. live on the grounds, live on the course. Hobble Creek, the same yeah. thing. Yeah, and there's always probably six, seven, eight of them. I mean, you rarely just see a singular turkey, so I'm wondering. If they are, the others are like, how? Get out of the middle of the road. What are you doing? What did you call them? What are they supposed to call? He says flock. What did you say? Rafter. Rafter? Yeah, it says a group of turkeys is called a rafter or a flock. I'm going with rafter. Yeah. Well, put them up in a rafter. You're just burnishing your vocabulary over there. Nice, man. I'm I'm educated here today. Edumacated. And that's good because I've always said we need to create education better. 
Thank you. Thank you, Marissa Van Noy. That's been one of my my go-to lines, create education better. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, coming up at 8.30. The Athletic, with a list of Pac-12 coaching hires. The best and the worst. You always say you can't make a prediction when they're hired, PK. We'll run through this. You can make a prediction. You can't make an assessment. We'll run through this list and say how many of these. And and they, they rank them. And, man, some of the bad hires. You get down to the last 10 on the list, there were some Awful hires. Well, what, How many of them should they have seen coming? What's the time frame? Since 2000. So we got basically the 10 years of the Pac-12 and the last 10 of the Pac-10, which includes the Pete Carroll hire in the last since 2000. And he was number one on the list. Yeah, it's funny. Stanford would be, there'd be wide variances on that. And list, yeah. Yes, there are. That'd be one at the bottom or probably one And Chip second. Kelly makes multiple appearances at opposite ends of the list with some of those Stanford coaches. We'll get to that next. The best and the worst. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Christian Roberts Mortgage. If you're going to work with an expert for your next home loan, you need to connect with the most referred lender in Utah. Christian Roberts Mortgage, they specialize in jumbo loans. So college football isn't quite here yet. Well, I can taste it though. I know. How far how long till the Pac twelve media day? Three weeks? Twenty nine days. Twenty nine days. <laughs> Had the BYU media day. Pac twelve's coming. So it's time for a little list website. It's kinda like list radio, but it's a little different, but you get it. So the athletic, three of their writers combining to rank the Pac-12's 40 coaching hires since 2000. And you always say, hey, don't, don't get locked in on a coaching hire, college or pro, football, basketball, whatever. You never really know. You don't. And they list the 40 from best to worst, and number one, and it's not close, Pete Carroll. Oh, you got to say, and it's not even, even close. close. You got to sell it. Went 62-14 and 14 in conference games. Yeah. He, no question he cheated the best. They were 10-14 and 14 before he got there, and they went 62-14 and 14 while he was there. Phenomenal run, man. Carroll wasn't USC's first choice, and he's the best hire, and they wouldn't have hired him if someone else had said yes. Uh, did they go after... Uh, let's see, I think Mike Riley was there, Dennis Erickson, mm-hmm. and how about, was Chris Peterson, was he considered at that time? I don't think so. I think that not, was not before he early. took off. Yeah, it was okay. too early. Yeah, not at that time. Okay. Carroll comes in and averages 11 wins a season. Hard to argue with his success, for yeah. sure. The number two. That'd be Jim Harbaugh, yeah. I thought Harbaugh, yes, but they put Chip Kelly at Oregon. 46 and 7 and 33 and 3 in the conference. That is well, they were four spectacular years. And both of those programs had issues. There were glimpses during Chip Kelly's two years as offensive coordinator what was coming, but nobody could have expected that success. 2010, undefeated, going into the national title game, and they lost to Auburn. Marcus Mariota time. So close. Harbaugh, who doesn't have the, the numbers because he was turning a bad program around, so his, 
his stats don't look as good on the surface. Right, but that's where right. he brought them from to where he brought them to. And Chip Kelly was elevated and kept it going. Yes. Coming up, it's worst season of four decades. Stanford was in a dark place. And after a two-week search, Bob Bowlesby, the athletic director, picked Harbaugh, who'd been at a non-scholarship program at the University of San Diego and had gone 29-6. and six. Yeah, Ed Lamb was on that staff, if I remember correctly. And Mortensen, the BYU transfer, kid out of Tempe, uh, went down Todd there. Mortensen? Yep. Yeah, being a quarterback. After winning four games, then five, then eight, he took him to an 11-1 and season. They beat Virginia Tech in the Orange Bowl. And four days later, he was off to the NFL, and he was the 49ers head coach. That was a great, great hire. Who was the guy who went from Pittsburgh to Stanford? I'd put him Walt Harris. Is that was his name? Yeah. I'd put him down at the bottom. We'll get to the bottom of the list. Uh, well, it's just everybody at the U of A. <laughs> the U of A does well at the bottom of the list, but there are other people at the bottom of the list. Deservedly so. Paul Wolf. He's near the bottom. Good call. Uh, rounding out the top five. You got anybody else? This is your conference. Got other coaches you've loved, other coaches. Man, you're going back 20 years, though. And I'm, I'm going to think uh, recently. I think these were... Uh, Dan Hawkins. These were... No. These were solid years being funny at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, what he they was do in Colorado you? in the Big 12 era. So... So he doesn't count. Okay. It's like Kyle doesn't count. They said at the start of this story, you know. But yet they sorry, induct Kyle. these players into the yep. conference but we don't, of fame. But we don't like no, it. I, we don't, we no don't sense. Sense. Keith Van Horn is yeah, the, wait I, a minute, <laughs> didn't play a second in the pack. Louis Sakota is the yeah. Yeah. Honoring bro. Lavelle Edwards by the West Coast Conference has got to be one of the dumbest things that I've. It's right there with telling me all the BYU games are going to be on at 9 o'clock Eastern. Okay, but these guys who are 4 and 5. Won conference champions, championships. They are guys who've earned their spot. They put Shaw four and Chris Peterson five. Can't argue with the runs they've had. And and Shaw Shaw got to continue it. Mm -hmm. Chris Peterson had to build it. Now, when he took over, it wasn't as bad as who succeeded. Was it Sarkeesian? Who succeeded uh, Willingham? And they were zero and twelve. Sark. Yeah, so I put a little more into building as opposed to Sarkeesian uh, was keeping tied, an engine going. They had Sarkeesian tied for 13th for the turnaround job at Washington. Yeah, because they he, never, he never had big seasons. They acknowledge it was in a bad, bad I was literally spot. in the worst. Yeah. that Probably in the program history, I would think. Yeah, Going 0-12. Got yeah. Ty Willingham tied for 39th. They tied him for last. They didn't have a 39 and 40. They had two guys tied at 39. And the other one was a guy that Yak already mentioned, Paul Wolf at Washington State, who had a great quote. I don't remember this quote, but it's a great quote. Said Wolf after the firing, the great thing about Washington State University and being a Cougar is we don't do it like everybody else. We stick together and don't eat our own. I believe the innocence of WSU has been lost today. <laughs> don't fire me. Yeah, I don't know if they had any innocence. Nine wins and 40 losses. I don't know that anybody has any innocence at the he, D1 level. He won four conference games in four years on the job. So that's why they buried him at the w- bottom. Where do they go with Erickson? Because at Oregon State, he was pretty good. 
Uh, Eric, they they rank uh, coaches separate time. Like Chip Kelly um, was twenty is twenty nine for his time at UCLA. Sure, but that thing isn't done yet. Maybe right. it'll get worse. Maybe maybe it gets better. It's Erickson's like, twenty two for his time at ASU. Well, that's the the great thing about the Sun Devils. Mm-hmm. Is no matter what list you have, they're they, in the middle. They, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Todd Graham tied for thirteenth. They, they, that's pretty good for Graham. They're never really bad, but, but they're, they're never rarely, really, really good. <laughs> I can't say never. I would say rarely, but almost, almost. I can say never really, really bad. But rarely, really good. So they're top ten, and they don't put Kyle in this because he was a Mountain West hire. He wasn't a Pac-12 hire, so they don't put him in the list. But they got Pete Carroll one, Chip Kelly two, Jim Harbaugh and David Shaw at Stanford three four. They acknowledge Stanford's been a really hard place to win. These two guys have done good work. Uh, Chris Peterson is five. The next five is Mario Cristobal, and they acknowledge you know so far it's been a home run, but he's barely getting started. But they put him at six. Obviously, you get two or three years down the road, depending on what he does, they could be re-ranking that. They put Leach 7 at Washington State uh, for turning around after what happened with Wolf, who's down at the bottom. Tedford, and to your recency bias, do you forget how good Tedford had Cal in the mid-2000s? They had a year they, they tied USC for the conference title. They beat him in a triple OT game when SC was loaded. Mike Riley at Oregon State, number nine, and Mark Helfrich at Oregon, 10. Helfrich, 10? 13 and 2, Pac 12 champ, Rose Bowl champ, title game appearance. Four and eight. Yeah, but it fell Toward apart. the end, the bad became far more memorable than the good for Chip Kelly's replacement. There was the blown 31 point halftime lead against TCU in the Alamo Bowl. The 70 spot Washington dropped on the Ducks at Autzen Stadium. But he did coach Oregon to a Rose Bowl win in the inaugural college football championship game. So here are their choices when they rank him 10. If they want to drop him lower, do they elevate Clay Helton, who's 11? Jim Mora at UCLA, who's 12? Todd Graham at ASU, who's tied for 13 with Sarkeesian at Washington? And Rich Rod at 15 at Arizona, who did win the division before it all fell apart? It didn't fall apart. He fell apart. (laughs) Okay. I don't think the program fell apart. Especially he, compared to what has happened since. He had a 3-9, and nine, but he had two seven-win seasons on, on either side. So I guess I was counting the 3-9 and nine as falling apart. But to your point, oh, it got worse. Oh, yes, it did. The program. Yes. Yeah. After him, bad hire. What are you, Joe Biden with the whispering here? Bad hire. <laughs> I lean in and I whisper. <laughs> You know, all men are created. You know, you know, the thing. (laughs) Herm Edwards, 17. ASU, middle of the list. 13, 17, and 22. Yeah, he's 15 and 13 in D1. And then they're going to get 11 and 11 in conference. They're going to get put on probation. And so instead of going 7 and 5, they're going to go 5 and 7. Whoop de doo. (laughs) Oh, also another ASU guy, Dirk Cutter, right at 20. So 13, 17, 20, and 22. Problem with Cutter is he made a lot of enemies. He wasn't a likable dude from what I understand. 
in that in the area. And if you don't win big, you better be way likable. He went two and nineteen against ranked opponents, and zero oh and twelve, zero oh and twelve in conference games in California. Yeah, it was SC at the time. USC, UCLA, Cal, and Stanford. They had a go- well. I know who the other right, but it's not all on SC going zero and twelve. I mean, you could have won at UCLA, Cal, or Stanford. I was talking about the ranked. Hmm. Okay, yeah, the two and nineteen against ranked. He was there six years, so that explains six losses. But that's two and thirteen against the rest of the ranked teams. Sure, he sucked. He got fired. Yeah, <laughs> so, there you go. I mean, if you are going to coach there, you can coach in the desert. You're likely going to get fired. I mean, every coach since John Cooper in like '87 has been fired. And there it is. <laughs> so, that's what. I, so I didn't understand all the ripping of Herm. Okay. He's going to get fired. I've been seeing this story for 40 friggin' years. Now it's going to change? Probably not. So Kevin Sumlin was tied for 34th. There are actually people who did worse than Kevin Sumlin at the University of Arizona. 6-17 and 17 in three seasons. Well, he's leaving with, a, what, a 12, 13-game losing streak? Yeah. It's hard for me to imagine that there would be much worse. And you'll... You lost your when these. I mean, these two programs don't have a lot going for them, so in that respect, the rivalry game is elevated even more because it's rarely on a national stage, if ever. I mean, maybe in the seventies. But can you think of coaches that you would rank below Kevin Sumlin? We followed the league for twenty years. Some of them we've we've mentioned here: Paul Wolf and Tyrone Willingham. Willingham tied for the bottom because he went 0-12 at Washington, who's got some advantages. No, I don't think they anybody. got history, if, tradition, if, if you're facilities. Strictly on of performance, that 70 to 7 is as bad as it gets. And, and that's why I'm saying that rivalry game, because well, they're not playing for anything usually, it takes on added importance locally, not, yeah. not beyond. Not even regionally. It has to be strictly locally. It would be like when BYU and Utah, if they played each other at the end of the season, both were five and six. I mean, more often than not, that's what you've got between the U of A and ASU. You've got two teams playing out the season. So because of that, there's very little implication beyond the game itself. So I believe because of that, that takes that literal game takes on more importance. Because it's all it's basically all you got. You got nothing else to brag about this yeah. season. At least we kept the rival. You're not looking to increase your bowl uh, positioning. No. You're not looking. You're sitting on five, six, seven wins. Yeah. There's no ranking at stake. There's right. no division title or conference championship at stake. Right. It's bragging rights. And maybe bowl eligibility. And I think because of that, it increases the level of importance of the game within the state. Nowhere else, yeah. but within the state. The teams, the uh, the hires that were uh, worse than Kevin Sumlin in Arizona, you mentioned one of them, Walt Harris at Stanford, Buddy Tevens at Stanford, who I didn't even remember, Gary Anderson at Oregon State, John Embry at Colorado, and then Paul Wolf and Tyler And they pulled Willingham. a plug on Embry so early. Four and 21 in two seasons. And he think he had one road win, and it was uh, the Utes that yep. uh, end of the first season, right? It was like Friday. It's like a day game, at, uh, if I remember correctly, at Rice Eccles. 
Yep. Utes trying to win that, get to second place. With SC on probation in first place, it would have sent them to the conference title game. Instead, it was UCLA, and they got drilled. Yeah, I don't think the Utes would have been in a position to compete in that, but for your first year, that would have been Just nice. would have helped recruiting. Hey, look at us. Yeah, yeah, but it wasn't a devastating blow. I mean, they're, yep. they're competing and competing just fine right now. Excited for their opportunities with Charlie B. So there's a list of uh, of hires. Any of them you think should have obviously been good or obviously been bad? Going into it? Yeah. I guess well, looking back, you can say, oh, Pete Carroll, NFL guy, a lot of no, enthusiasm. not to that level. But the college to NFL jump and the NFL to college jump. I think guys who succeeded, like David Shaw and Chip Kelly at Oregon. That, that's why I'm surprised Helfridge it got away from him because Oregon's spending whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, doing their, they're fudging the rules. I, as much as I dislike Oregon, they fudge the rules. I mean, if if we penalize what everybody's doing wrong, it, that's all you'd be doing. Yep. You'd be nonstop. So I really don't get caught up in that as long as it's not over-the-top academic fraud. What that's, about over-the-top paying players? They're already doing that. I was going to say North, Car- North <laughs> so, Carolina got with the ac- academic fraud. Right. A- academic fraud, I think, is the one thing. The paying of the players... Like the Reggie Bush thing, I barely even batted an eyelash. I, I didn't bat an eye. That that wasn't that wasn't the school. That was the agent. Aware of it, I, institutional control. That's different than the school. That's and different did, than and, Oregon and hiring. You want to draw the Oregon line. paying a guy to go get a player though. So you hammer that. There's like that's one percent. So fine, it was the. But agent. that's what they hammered him for. It doesn't mean that they're just because they didn't get hammered for it. Doesn't mean there weren't. I've been telling you for years. These top guys have been getting money, and it's accelerating. It's it's no and it's no surprise to me. So I don't even think twice about it. And don't think your program is a hundred percent clean. You're kidding yourself if you think that San Diego State is one hundred percent clean. Whatever. I didn't. No. They've been busted before. So the Chip Kelly thing, just don't don't slap me in the face about it, you know? Don't insult my intelligence. And Chip Kelly thought, oh, well, the guy's name was Willie Lyles, and you called him Will, or he was... Oh, stop it. You know, vice versa. Yeah, just... I expect that. To me, this is what's going on. And get... get and a lot of these kids, they, you know, come from impoverished backgrounds, I'd have my hand out, too. We might be judging them. For, for doing that. So I don't really get caught up in that. So I'm surprised that Helfridge didn't keep it going. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 the zone. The Clippers, big playoff win. They keep their season alive. They're down three games to two to the Suns. And Paul George is the hero. 41 points, 13 boards. His college coach, our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland, joins us next. The playoffs may be over for the Utah Jazz, but the season never ends on the Zone Sports Network. From the NBA Draft 
to free agency and on to the summer league, the zone will be with the Jazz every step of the way as the Jazz front office builds for the future. Your exclusive home of Utah Jazz basketball is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to talk with our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret, Utah's in an extreme drought currently. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Steve, good morning. Good morning, guys. I am curious about your emotion. I think a lot of fans, now that the Jazz are out of the playoffs, can watch an NBA game, or at least part of an NBA playoff game, and not really root that hard one way or another, just kind of watch the game. But I imagine you watching the Clippers play. You coached Paul George in college. You know he's had games that are hard to explain, and he's taking a lot of heat for him because he's underperformed. And that's, you know, those are facts and part of history. And then you come on the radio and you don't want to light your guy up, and I totally get that. But what are you thinking when you turn on a game and it's an elimination game and they're on the road and he's just crushing it, playing one of his best games, shooting 75% from the floor and never blinking? I guess the best way to start this off would be to say that when you have a player that you're close to, it's kind of like having your kid play. I mean, it's kind of like I don't. I do not get nervous or anxious about watching games, regardless of who's playing. I mean, it, 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 it just won't. But when it's an individual that you're connected to, uh, it, it's, it can be painful. And uh, so when things don't go well, and I'm looking at this series, and I'm thinking, okay, this this could easily be Clippers up three <laughs> one without Kawhi Leonard. You know, I mean, it's a it's a couple of missed free throws, it's a turnover here, and obviously Paul's going to be involved in the mix no matter what because he's playing, he's logging, you know, 43, 44, 45 minutes a game. And so when you play those kinds of minutes, you're more prone to make mistakes, and he's made some mistakes. But last night uh, I was driving from uh, from Clovis, California to, to Vegas. I'm on my way to Utah to go see my family. It was one of my sons in Provo, and uh, – I mean, I'm a nervous wreck listening to the thing on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, uh, it, was, it was fun because we got to the hotel and I got to actually see the last quarter and a half in person. But you know what? I was so happy for him. And, uh, you know, he, I, I will tell you this. The, the fatigue factor for him, when he's made his biggest blunders and made mistakes and struggled, uh, I, I really believe part of it is, uh, and everybody's going to have a different opinion, but, man, he looks gassed. And he, he's tired, and as they all are, because they're playing five, six, seven guys a game. They're not playing a lot, you know. They're not playing many guys because they don't have them. But last night, man, I felt so good. I mean, I felt like you know one of my children did real well in a in a choir, pro, you know, and they were in the choir or they were in a play or they were in, in a ball game. I mean, it, it was good, and uh, I slept better last night, uh, knowing that they, that was a huge win. I mean, there was no one on the planet. I thought the Clippers were going to. Win. I mean, there's no one unless it was related. Somebody had was related to a player. Uh, it wasn't happening, and so uh, that was a huge win. But <clears throat> there's a lot of more basketball still to be played. Uh, I would hope they would go back home and play just like this, and then make that seventh game pretty special. Who knows? I mean, I, the Suns. Uh, Chris Paul did not play well yesterday. 
Uh, I think the the mask and all the issues with the nose is not it's not been easy on on uh, <clears throat> excuse me on on what's happening with them, but with Booker, but. Uh, uh, I believe I, I'm hopeful that it'll go seven games, and then we'll see what happens. So it's it's been fun, fun to watch. Do you think anything has clicked with Paul George? I think because for me, uh, you know, shots are going in, but I, he's always been a premier player. So I'm not sure beyond shots going in that there's anything different. But from what you know of him and what you've seen, do you think otherwise? So, so first of all, he's a really, really good defender. And nobody ever hardly ever talks about that. And his length, and, his, and he was a great defender in college. I mean, he became a better defender just through strength and conditioning and even when in college when he, he wasn't a great shooter. But, uh, you know, I, I think that he I – mean, I know the young man pretty well. And he, and he is a, a very kind, he's a great teammate. Guy, you know, he gets along well with his teammates. And, and, and there's no one in, in the world – I mean, I would like to say, well, you know – they're not care. They don't care about that. They're not watching that. But you and I know that social media and all of those things going on. That these these guys are so connected to it, you know. And I'm I'm hopeful. I don't have the access to to him right now. But I would just say, please do not listen to talk radio. Please do not get on the internet. Just focus in on yourself and uh, and be the best version of who you can be. And I mean, guys are gonna make mistakes. I mean, the two. The two plays before he missed those two free throws were big-time baskets to put him in a position to win the game. But, uh, you know, and I get it. Everybody's going to focus on what happened at the end. You missed the free throws, and there you are. And you gotta make, you got to make those in those kind of situations if you be, want to be one of the elites. And I, and I do consider him to be one of the, in the, you know, the top 20 players in the NBA. I mean, he, he's demonstrated that over a long period of time, nine or ten years. But uh, he's had some hiccups. I understand it. Tough on him, tough on his old coach, but I, I'm proud of what he does, who he is, and couldn't have been happier last night with uh, how he played. It just took over the game because he didn't play well the first half. I mean, I, I was I listening, I was listening to it on the radio, and it seemed like he was deferring. He didn't want to, you know, jump into it. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, he's turning the ball over. He's deferring to other guys. He has to do. He can't be afraid to fail here, or they'll have no chance of winning. And, and certainly, you think you think about that game and how that thing started, and they jumped out to a quick lead, and and uh, you know, and the Clippers were in a situation where they were going inside, and I mean, they, they were playing well, and I, I kept waiting for them to just kind of tide to turn, and eventually the Suns would take over, the fans would take over, but it never happened. I mean, they took a short league, I think, in the second half by a point or two, but wow, and, and Tyrone Lue, I mean. He has pushed all the right buttons. I mean, whether they're in a zone, whether they're in man-to-man, whatever they're doing, if, if people wondered if this guy could coach, I mean, I think a lot of people thought, well, he had, you know, he had LeBron James, he, you know, he had Kyrie Irving, you know, he had guys that didn't require great coaching to win an NBA championship. But I, I, I think he's done an amazing job coaching right now and made all the adjustments. And uh, to go in there and win, you, it, it's, it's not an easy place to win. It's a loud place. And uh, so I, I think Tyrone Lou is, is to give to give it a lot of credit as well. Steve Cleveland joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. As impressive as the Game 5 win was, is it something they can replicate in Game 6 or 7? They had three guys really score it well, and they don't have that many options because they have so many guys out injured. 
Uh, so it's still the Suns, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think the Suns are still in the position to win this thing. When you think about, uh, you know, the Clippers at home uh, the first time, and you know the game is uh, that that second game when it was eighty four to eighty, and the Clippers go five for thirty one at home. Uh, you would think at home they could they would play better, uh, but Morris was special. And Cousins, you know, they got 15 points out of Cousins in very few minutes. And I think that – I think the zone was ingenious. I think playing Cousins inside and, and attacking, especially backup guys that, uh, you know, when the big fellow wasn't inside there for, for Phoenix, uh, you know, those those were big, big baskets. And Reggie Jackson doesn't seem to be afraid of anything. And really, when you think about it, uh, he, he had a huge second half as well, made big baskets – and then Paul just played well throughout the, you know, I mean, definitely the second half. First half, he didn't play great. Second half, he was unbelievable. So they believe they can go home. I mean, I would think that they'll go home and not be 5-31 to 31 from the three-point line. And because that's a game that they should have won. I mean, besides the two missed free throws, really, being at home and, and Paul going one for nine and Jackson going two for nine and them going five for 31, uh, you know, and Phoenix still barely wins. So I, I, I feel like they'll go home. They'll shoot it better. I like the fact they're changing defenses uh, and, and not just doing the same thing and letting the Suns get in the routine. And, I mean, Chris Paul is going to have to play a lot better than he did uh, last night. And, uh, you know, I, I think for them to win there. But I, I think the Clippers win at home. Uh, and I think that the Suns have the advantage at home going back home just because these guys will have logged so many minutes and it's been a long process. I just, I just don't know if they can pull another one out of the rabbit out of the hat here. Uh, it seems unlikely that they could, but I maybe it's just my uh, prejudice towards the Clippers <laughs> in the fact that I think they can win at home. Right? Uh, they didn't play there very well last time, so I hope they'll play better. I hope that they'll be in a situation where there can be a seventh game. This has been a pretty amazing Clipper team when you consider most of it's been done. All most of this work's been done without Kawhi. Um, it's put the spotlight on Paul, which hasn't been great for him at times. But at the end of the day, when these guys look back, whatever happens here, going three series like this, being down two games, uh, there'll, there'll be something to, to say, hey, you know what? There were a lot of good things that happened here. We didn't get to the NBA Finals. But uh, we'll have to see. But they got they got to beat them home. they got to play a lot better at home than they did last time if they want to get into that seventh game. I continue to be surprised why the Suns don't go to eight and more. I don't think he has enough FGAs. Yeah, you know, uh, he, he does. He, he's a, you know, he's, he's good in the pick and rolls, and obviously he's, uh, but he's not really a low post guy. I mean, he just, I mean, he has a presence there, and when he runs the floor, and, and when Booker comes off that thing, and, and you know, the, the thing is, the Clippers didn't give him many opportunities. I mean, they, they changed the defenses all the time and played it differently, and and, and really, Aiton has played well in this series. Don't get me wrong; he played really well. I mean, everybody's focusing on the on the dunk at the end to win the game, but he's played really well. But I, I don't I don't think he's a significant low post. Give me the ball. Let's. I mean, the NBA didn't play that way. I mean, it's kind of like it's an afterthought. I mean, it's just like get out of the low post, let's pound it inside. They don't do that anymore. <laughs> you know, they did it with Cousins a little bit at the end, and they put you know they they post Morris up more than anybody. Well, they will pound it, but the Clippers are one of the few teams that really kind of pound the ball inside. It, the NBA today is 
more about screen and rolls, more about spreading the floor, more about gapping, you know, and getting in situations where we can attack off the dribble. And, uh, you know, Aiden, for, for the Suns to get to the next level as well, and they did very well win the whole thing. But he, he's, he's been really good, and he's gotten better. He's only three years into the league. Uh, but at the end of the day, maybe the system won't allow him to ever really be a low-post guy, but that, that hardly exists anymore in the NBA as far as the things that I've watched. It it's true. It hardly exists, but it seems like when you've got a good big guy, you've got to find a way for him to consistently get touches and impose his will. I mean, you know from watching games that all baskets aren't created equal. Some just happen. Others change momentum and change the flow of the game. And kind of the physical but, dominance a big guy gives you is a positive. But how do you get that outside of a the pick and roll and the alley oop and the easy bucket? Or be the post up. I mean, isn't there is there some other way to do that? You know, I was I was listening to uh, some NBA analysts yesterday, and they were talking about this. And, and one, just as I was driving to, to Vegas, and it was it was interesting talking about how the game has changed. But it's kind of like, when's the last time you saw an NBA coach call some quick hitters or special plays and do things out of timeouts? And you know, he was just, and this is a guy that's been in the league for a long time. He was Reggie Tillis, and he was talking about, you know, I'd, I'd like to see guys coming out of timeouts and running something where, where we go, we pound that thing inside, or we run some action where we can get the ball in the paint. And when you think about it, when when the Suns really made the run and Cousins went in, and he scores 15 points in a real quick period of time, it was all right around the rim. They were throwing the ball inside to him because he's a wide body. That that's the game that he has. And but I no I completely agree. I mean I think that's something that's missing. I think that I mean for me you call a timeout for three minutes you come out and run the same high pick and roll. But why would you not run something a quick hitter? Why not run a, a specific set? Why not try to open the floor and pound it inside? And, and if you don't have a guy, then, then post up a guard. You know post up whomever. I mean every team's different, but I, I don't see that action anymore. And and, and I think that it's missing. And I think people are missing out. I, I understand the flow of the game and all the things that happen, but when you got a six seven or a six eight guard, I mean, like it's one of, it's one of those things where you could run a little baseline flex cut and have the guy come off and get a quick post up, open the floor, and, and just pound it inside. I mean, there's so many different ways to get the ball in the post. And you're talking to a coach who, and you know, during my lifetime of coaching, that's what we did. We tried to pound the thing in the paint. I, I probably still got 25 special quick hitters that. How to get how to get guys in the post and how to score and how to isolate people and and those kinds of things, but that's one thing. As I watch the NBA, uh, and listen, these are the, some of the greatest coaches. Well, they are the greatest coaches in the world. They are great coaches and they have to manage and do a lot of things. But I, I don't see a lot of things happening coming out of timeout sometimes, where I'm, I'm expecting them to run something and some action to get the ball to a specific guy to get to the free throw line to stop the bleeding when they've gone six possessions in a row and they haven't scored. You don't, I don't see that a lot in the NBA. I just don't. And, uh, and hey, listen, I mean, I have absolute respect for those guys and those coaches, but I think that's an element that's missing. And I think there is a place for throwing the ball in the post. And it doesn't have, if your post guy is, is skinny and, you know, not strong enough, then find a two guard, find a three man, find that isolation, uh, and, and go from there. So, yeah, I completely agree that Aiton could be a dominant player inside. Think about the summer, just working on low post stuff and figuring out three, you know, figure out three or four or five sets that are going to run during the course of the game. Work on that all summer so he comes in with confidence 
and he, he feels stronger and better about that, developing him. I mean, he's a great player, and, he, man, he's playing good and for a guy that's only been in the league three years, and I think he's really responded to Chris Paul and the coaching staff. But I, I think there's a next level for him if he can learn how to score in a block. What do you think is going to happen with Danny Ainge? Man, the very first moment I heard, and, and I, I know that Ryan and Danny are good friends, and I know that they, that they both have great respect for each other. I know nothing about that, but I will be shocked if Danny Ainge is not part of that. And uh, I, I know that, uh, you know, he's in Utah a lot, and uh, I know that at one point in time, uh, I know, and it would have made sense too because they have family out here and that uh, they'd have a place out here because they have children out here and they have grandkids out here. But, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think, I think his role will be different, but I think that to me, it just seems from the outside looking in that, that he's going to be a part of that, that program. But I have no insight. You, have, you all have way more inside information than I do, but it, it makes sense, especially because there is a really, really strong relationship. Uh, between Ryan and Danny. It feels like everybody who has any connection to BYU, including parking services, will tell you <laughs> what you just said. Yep. I, I know. And you know I parking know. services connected. I don't want to I don't want to take any shots at parking <laughs> services. I don't want more tickets. <laughs> well, you know, I, I I don't I don't know and, and you all I we've had you know, we've had a couple conversations about Dennis Lindsay and, and, and off the record, and, and, and I knew that there seemed to be things that maybe weren't right there and that changes take place. Sometimes it's good. You know, I happened to have a couple of experiences with Dennis uh, when I had gotten back from Indiana when we served a mission out there. And I, I came by and wanted to talk to him. I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. And you know what? He was amazing with me. I mean, he didn't need to take a minute with me. We had dinner together, went to a game. And uh, and just shared with me insights. So, uh, whatever the positives or negatives, I mean, the fact he he had he made a mark there. I mean, obviously he hired Quinn. I mean, that was a pretty good move. He was involved in Donovan and and Gobert and and, and them being there. So he did a lot of really good things. I realize there's personalities. I realize there's a lot of things going behind the scenes that nobody knows anything about. But I will say this about Dennis with me. I mean, he treated me with great kindness. I had no idea who he was. And uh, I spent a couple hours with him and uh, he gave me some really good insights. So uh, he's had a great cutting. He's been in the business 20 or 25 years. So I don't know what his next step is or what he's going to do, but uh, it, that, it's just part of, the, it's part of it. I mean, you make changes and whether it's personality conflicts or whether it's a different vision, uh, who knows what it is. Change happens all the time, not just in the NBA, everywhere in coaching. And, and uh, so, uh, hats off to him for all the good things he did there. Steve, we appreciate the time. Thanks a lot. You see it, guys? Maybe I'll uh, come up and uh, say hello. I'll be, I'll be in town for about seven or eight days. We'll catch up. All right, that'd be good. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. Join us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jonathan Feigen, Houston Rockets writer for the Houston Chronicle. Changes in Houston. They're going to get back in the mix in the West, and how quickly. We'll talk with Jonathan coming up in about 15 minutes. Stay with us. Rises and fires for three. The playoffs may be over for the Utah Jazz. You're outstanding. But the season never ends on the Zone Sports Network. From the NBA Draft. 
to free agency and on to the summer league. The Zone will be with the Jazz every step of the way as the Jazz front office builds for the future. Your exclusive home of Utah Jazz basketball is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK remind you of the top 60 and 60s back on the Zone Sports Network. Listen every day at 1.30 as Hans and Scotty announce another member of the top 60 players in the state of Utah. We're counting you down to the start of the college football season. It's the top 60 and 60 presented by Cypress Credit Union and Icon Health and Fitness here on the Zone Sports Network. So what do you think, man? Ainge? I would hire him in a second. I assume he's going to be a consultant advisor. I would have I, I've assumed Whatever that for a long wants, time. I would do it. I think that... I think he just said it. I think it's hidden out there Steve, in the wide open. No, Dan, I think Ainge did. Himself. When Ainge did the interview in Boston saying, I want to work, but I don't want to work a lot. And there aren't many people who want to pay you to not work a lot. And then they laugh uproariously. It was a funny line. It was well delivered. But I, but I don't know but how I, serious he was <clears throat> in the moment. Oh, I'm get, taking him at face value, and that could moment, be a mistake. That was a face valued statement, right. but that doesn't mean six months later that's the same feeling. That was after an 18 year run with Boston, wasn't right. it? And he was there for a long so time. If, okay, but I assume he's coming aboard as a consultant. Now, in a year or three or five, I don't know, pick your time frame. Could that change? Sure. People are allowed to change their plan for themselves as they go forward. And that happens for lots of reasons. And sometimes you want to work more and sometimes you want to work less. So that's fine. But right now, sitting here right now, when he says, I want to work because he's 62, I'm too young to retire, but I don't want to work a lot, it just screamed me consultant. He said, there okay. aren't a lot of people. I agree. But there's one guy you got a personal relationship with who owns an NBA team where you played college basketball, where you have kids and grandkids. Where I am. That's probably not a factor. Yet it's a fact. I've talked to him many times. I've talked to him on a phone. Maybe it is. Maybe it's a big factor then. And his his desire <laughs> to work with you to change the stereotype of Utah and recruit athletes here and do radio. Sure, that could be a factor. No way. But it could be. I just think he's a smart basketball guy. So I don't really care what his job title is and whatever. Be involved when big decisions need to be made. Have a voice. I think he's a shrewd dude. Now, has he made every great move? No. But who does? Nobody does. Yeah. Jerry West has the best track record of yeah. our lifetimes, and we could sit here and list Jerry West's mistakes. So nobody... Who chose Mike McGee over Larry Nance? Nobody gets them all right. It can't be done. It hasn't been done. Right. It won't be done. It's a batting average. Nobody hits 1,000. We celebrate Ted Williams for fit, hitting 400, and I don't know... Whoever Tony else, Gwynn, for, Tony Brett. Gwynn for hitting 394, George Brett for whatever. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and that's what you have to do with people who judge personnel. And it doesn't matter if it's college or pro, it doesn't matter if it's football, basketball, or whatever. That's how it that works. That Jason Tatum move by Ainge was shrewd. That was, that was big time. That was a great move. Yeah. I'm so. going to trade down and still get the best guy because not only do I know who yeah. the best guy is, and that's a trick, but not only do I know who the best guy is, I know who they want, and they don't want the best guy. Right. So that was that was something. Yeah, and but it can still Walker go wrong. Work. Chemistry matters, sure, yeah, and, and I got, do I the pieces it. fit together. I just think he's a shrewd basketball well, talent I, evaluator. I think that with Ainge and Sloan, and I don't know that they I have any winner. I don't know that they have any tie there. But it's like 
you don't get really bad. You're always pretty good. And I get it's frustrating when you go out in the second round of the playoffs and people are frustrated, and I get that 100%. But there is something to be said for not being the team that wins a quarter or a third of its games. Because when you cover or root for or follow a team or play for a team that does that, it sucks. And sometimes you just have to go through it. The Jazz have gone through it a couple times, right after Stockton alone. They had a couple of mediocre seasons. One of them was actually pretty exciting, the first one. But then they got all the big-time guys and had a 20-whatever win season and Boozer got hurt and blah, blah, blah. And when they tore it down, you know, there was a stretch there that wasn't fun. Four years, I think, right? Yeah. But then they got it going. I would love to see him aboard. I do think there are questions if he comes aboard of, you know, how much say does he have? How does the group, you know, consensus matters. And if people who are in the grind all the time, if they get overruled by advisors and consultants, and, and this is not unusual, lots of teams have advisors and consultants, but how much weight do they have to throw around and how do they choose to throw it around? Well, that's that, up to that, Ryan Smith. That matters. It is. You're right. He decides. Yeah. He gets to decide who gets to decide. Basically. <laughs> Wait a minute. Say that again? He decides who gets to decide? Well, doesn't he? Yeah. He does. He does. That's the way it goes. So so I assume that's going to happen. And I think that he could come on as a consultant right away. I think if, if, if Ainge is going to get back in it full time and be the guy, after what he just said in Boston and did in Boston, I would assume that's still a little ways off. And I would uh, realistically don't think that's going to happen. I think they're in fine hands with Justin Zanuck and Quinn Snyder. I just don't think management is a problem. It's been too steady. Yeah, I think you got guys that they're not going to hit on everything, but they they've they've been around now for a good while. Quinn's going into his eighth year, right? Yeah, and that's a long time, man. And and Justin Zanuck's been through it, and you know there were some frayed feelings and all that stuff. I mean, that's normal. I, I, I just don't think it's that big of a deal in terms of impacting negatively the franchise. And from the fan perspective, that's really all you care about. So I don't see where the organization is weaker today than it was last week. I don't, I don't see that at all. And that's the bottom line from the fan perspective, right? You want to just keep going. Just win, baby. I think it's more than just win, baby. And you keep saying that. You're not going to have the jailblazers here, and that's not going to work. So it isn't just one. And I don't think the jailblazers worked in Portland. I don't think you don't want the fans to be horrified. But within the parameters of normal pro sports behavior, winning's the thing. It is. And they want, and they want all the other stuff, but it's 80% of the puzzle. And the other yes, stuff matters. So they, people win. want to feel good about the players and the coach. Those are my guys. Yeah, I don't yeah. really know them, but if I did, I like them. I've got XYZ in common with them. They want to hear from them before and after games. And think, yeah, right, that's my guy. He's got a plan. I like the plan. I played in high school, and we blah, 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 blah. Right. They want all that. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if it's... Uh, you know, someone playing high school baseball, and they want to hear from from Trout. Mm-hmm. And they're going to get that here. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The Rockets in a rebuild mode after a good long run. Jonathan Feigen joins us, Houston Rockets writer for the Houston Chronicle. That's next. Stay with us.
DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Jonathan Fagan joins us, Houston Rockets writer for the Houston Chronicle. He's on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret Utah's in an extreme drought currently. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Jonathan, good morning. Good morning. Jonathan, we don't know you, but we recognize your name, and we were curious, before we get started here with the first question, how long have you been covering the NBA? How long have you been covering the Rockets? I've been the beat guy for 22 C. I, okay, I've finished 20 seasons, so a little more than 22 years I've been on the beat. And I'm looking at the Rockets' record in that span. They haven't had, now they just had a losing season, obviously, but that is the first losing season they've had since 2006, and they haven't had back-to-back losing seasons since the early 80s, 83-84. That is a remarkable run. Uh, Are they going to rebuild on the fly, or are they about to have back-to-back losing seasons? (laughs) <laughs> the odds are they'll have back-to-back losing seasons. Uh, I mean, they're going to take the long rebuild plan, probably. But if they luck into something, let's say they make a trade, John Wall or Eric Gordon, guys who have larger salaries, and bring somebody back that changes everything. Or for that matter, if they get real healthy and stay healthy with some of the veterans uh, who broke down last year, everybody broke down last year. But Maybe they have a, they have a chance at, at around 500, but I don't think they're going to do anything that that really damages the long rebuild just for next season. So, also too, what's the management situation? Because Dennis Lindsay, to a degree, is available. I don't know that he would be, but you know, because he says he's going to be consulting here with the Jazz. He has those Texas roots. Can you inform us? about what's going on from the front office perspective? Well, Rafael Stone is the general manager, and he hasn't completed one full calendar year yet. So I would think they'd give him more time to rebuild than that. And Rafael was with the organization for 14 years. So he, he's been there. That's quite a long time, actually, in this business. So they have a lot of faith in him, a lot of belief in him, and in the front office in general. They are adding people, although if they don't add a couple in the next week or so, they'd probably put it off till after the draft because things get pretty busy and sort of the roles they're adding aren't necessarily people you need right away. But that's under Rafael Stone. Right. That's not a right. position that Dennis would, would be in. They, Dennis would obviously run his own shop. Okay. So, no, they're not looking. So the draft is a chance to improve. Houston has got a lot of picks, the number two pick, and then later on picks 23 and 24. Who are they excited about? What is the plan? Where is this going? I I was going to ask you if they would trade those picks to bring some veterans in, but if they're going to go with the long rebuild, then I would think you'd invest in rookies. Well, certainly with the number two pick. I I, I mean, Rafael made a big point that, we're going to keep every option open and consider everything, including moving if we draft. He said all that kind of stuff. Uh, it, it, they're going to make the pick with the second pick. Uh, I really believe they want to take their chance on getting their future star. And you can do that with the second pick. You might not get it, but that's a good way to build. 23 and 24, uh, anything could happen. I could see them using that, using the combination of picks or future picks to move up. 
if somebody slips that they really like, if they find somebody really undervalued, a veteran that they can get with one of those picks, I could see that. Most likely they'll pick three times, but the 23 and 24 – all the options. It's like they say all the options are open. Detroit says all the options are open. Well, they're really not. But with 23 and 24, yeah, any, anything could happen. I can absolutely see them moving up. Teams in recent years with too many first-round picks have used one just to sort of restock for future years, to trade a late first for a future second even. I don't think those are good teams that have done that. I don't think the Rockets would do that. So you look at this team on paper anyway, I could argue that the strength of the team is in the guard line or in the perimeter players. Uh, Gordon is a proven commodity, but he's 32 years old. Wall, somewhat injury prone, obviously, 30 years old, making $41 million. Man, that seems outrageous. And they got a couple nice young players. I think Christian Wood is a kid on the come that you can – get some production out of and get better, particularly as uh, if he can find a way to get stronger and all that stuff. House is a decent player. With that in mind, as far as that draft pick, uh, I don't know that Cunningham's going to go one. I, I would assume if he's available that the Rockets would take him. I personally like the kid Suggs from Gonzaga, but Mobley from SC is probably going to be there too. So what do you think they do with that pick? Okay, well, as the guys you've mentioned, two two of the main parts of the rebuilding are guys you didn't mention, Kevin Porter Jr. and K.J. Martin. And Jason Tate, I don't know that he's going to get a whole lot different, but he was first-team all-rookie team this year. Yep. So those are three important rebuilding guys because they're so young, uh, 21, 20, and Tate is a little older. So those are guys... But the Rockets are absolutely not going to concern themselves with fit. You know, who fits best next to Kevin Porter Jr. Because he, he's the, kind of their first step in really the rebuilding. He, he has potential star in him. And so he's key. But that said, uh, the guys who are going to be in the top four of the draft are good enough and versatile enough that they could fit regardless, even if they were worried that way. So you mentioned Suggs. Yeah. Well, Suggs can, can run your offense, but he can play off the ball too. And a lot, he's not a great range shooter, but from the people I've talked to, people think he will become really good, maybe even great, but that will become a strength, where it's definitely not a strength right now. Well, if that's the case, he could fit with anybody. Don't worry about fit anyway. Uh, the, the hard question is the, the – you, you kind of have a feeling for the floor of these guys. And Cade Cunningham probably has the highest floor. If things don't work out, what will he be? Well, he'll still, he's going to be good. He's going to be real good because he's, so, he's got so much going for him. Uh, the, not the elite athlete, but other than that, he's got so much going for him. It's going to work out. Maybe not superstar level because you never know with these guys. They're 19 years old. Jalen Green is the one where you get a lot of opinions where there are those who feel like of the group, he's the one who could have superstar potential, but more volatile in terms of, you know, where the floor is compared to the ceiling, the the biggest gap between those two. I would think the Rockets getting back in the top four for the first time since Yao Ming 
will say, go for upside. You know, let, let's see who can be a star, unless they absolutely feel somebody's just much better. But it, 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 a lot of this is going to be taste. You know, some people like vanilla, some like chocolate. <laughs> you know, it's just uh, Mobley, you can make a case for almost any of these guys. Mobley being so athletic and agile at his size, being such a difference maker defensively, you can make a case that's the guy you should take if you get a chance. He's always going to be tall. You know, you don't have to worry about that. You're not going to get him and suddenly find out, oh, my gosh, he's actually 6'7". So you have a pretty good feel for that, too. I think, though, and just knowing Rafael's personality and his tastes, he's a guy who's willing to swing for the fences, which means take the guy you think is going to be best. Don't worry about fit. Don't worry about it not working out. Go for the home run. So, in Phoenix, DeAndre Ayton has made a big point of saying, hey, Chris Paul has really improved me as a player. So if you're going young, there's a whole thought, you need to go young, and what's the point of having veterans? And the point is that they bring the young guys along. Now, Phoenix is winning, so that's a slightly different uh, different situation than where Houston sits. For the guys who are 30 and older in Houston – do they have a future there because they think with some young guys they can win quickly? Do they move those guys because they're going for the future? Are there one of them, two of them, or great mentors they want to hold on with these young guys? How does that work for the guys who are older and suddenly find themselves in the middle of this Rocket rebuild? Yeah, you make a great point there. The Rockets were really happy with John Wall as a leader last year, which wasn't necessarily his reputation, and it's certainly not the reason they brought him in. But he was really good at just communicating and constantly helping. When he missed time, he was not a guy who was up in a luxury suite watching. He was always involved. You know, it was just, they were really happy with that. Do you spend $90 million over the next two years for that? Of course not. You know, you can get that a lot less if they had a way to move. And that's the other thing. Because they did well in the lottery, if they had finished fifth with the fifth pick, Oklahoma City would have taken that pick and they'd have drafted 18th. I would make a case, you know what then? Try and win with veterans. Change your reputation a little bit. Look like a team on the rise to where you have a chance to get that future star in free agency. Now you have a chance to get it in the draft. It makes more sense at some point to move a veteran who makes that kind of money. You don't keep him just because of mentorship, not at that price. Um, I will say Kelly Olenek is a free agent, uh, but they have bird rights. They could bring him back using that, and he was terrific at that, really good. Uh, There was one game I remember, a guy messed up. I can't remember the play or the guy, but one of the really young guys messed up. A timeout was called, and Olenek got to him before anybody else and walked him back towards the bench talking to him. That's the thing you're talking about, where a guy in a Linux case turned 30 late in the year. Just really good at that. Uh, You're rebuilding, though. You don't have the luxury of, of paying that kind of money just for that. I also don't think you need to move, oh, gosh, we got to get John Wall out of here. No, you don't have to because he's good at those things. So you could take your time till the right deal comes to where it's not where you have to add to get someone to take the contract. 
to where maybe you can do a deal that's neutral or you even get some assets back. You know, so there's no urgency because he's not a problem. He's actually a benefit. But you don't keep him for that reason either. Yeah, as I look at their roster, you know, a healthy John Wall, I think, is a great player. Uh, but at $41 million, I mean, it's, I would think it would be hard to move him. But at the same time, when I look at guys like Bradley Gordon and Olenek, they can help teams that, that are veteran teams poised to win now. And I think that that would be much easier for them to move those types of guys and maybe get some assets in return. Do you see that scenario playing out? Well, Olenek's a free agent, so they don't have that kind of control with him. And Bradley, it's a team option. And that's an interesting one because he can be a trade asset to the sort of teams you're describing to where he can be he's a he's another guy smart guy he's been with always been attractive to contending teams the heat signed him before that it was the lakers you know before that it was the celtics he's a guy that would have some value to where if you do pick up your team option on him he at five million sure having a mentor type is not and then dj augustine by the way is signed and he's also really good in that regard and so, yeah, I could see keeping Bradley and then see when something develops uh, to where he's a trade asset. Uh, and, but that's the thing. They can't do anything about just next season. Everything has to be, how does it build? What, how, do, how does it help you down the road either to win or to make a deal that helps you win? But you're right about John Wall. At that price, it's a very small number of teams that he, he's a great fit, that you're overpaying regardless. But some teams, if that's the last part, and gosh, you need a point guard, maybe you're willing to do something like that. For the Rockets, it has to be, hang on to him until the time comes. Because you, to do a bad deal, you don't have to do one. Your hands aren't forced in his case. Jonathan Fagan, join us, Houston Rockets writer for the Houston Chronicle, longtime B writer. I am curious if you think the Clippers can come back on the Suns or if Phoenix is headed to the NBA Finals. Well, the way you worded it, I'd say both. They can come back. I wouldn't be shocked if they get it to a Game 7 and then anything can happen. But I'm picking, I'm picking the Suns. You know, I, I don't think the Suns played very well last night. And, you know, they will. And, you know, each game further in the series, further away from his time off uh, because of COVID, I think Chris Paul is going to get stronger and stronger and do it in this series anyway. So I, I would absolutely pick the Suns. But after last night, uh, you know, I don't think anybody can. And also, Ty Lue deserves a whole lot of credit. You know, he, he's not a guy who sort of sets his rotation and that's it. We're going to rise or fall with these guys. He is absolutely willing to try and, uh, different things, and the changes he's made throughout these playoffs have worked. Uh, so that, I think it's a really interesting series. I kind of hope it goes seven just because I want as much basketball as possible before this year is over. To say nothing of which my fantasy team has three Clippers, <laughs> or two of which are playing. And Chris Paul. So either way, I, I'm going to win-win. Good for you. It's a long way to put the answer to your question, which was I think the Suns will win, but at this point nothing will surprise me about the Clippers. 
Last season was a bizarre season. Everything was done on Zoom, but you have one of your guys on your co- on the coaching staff. He's one of our favorites. We worked from him on television a little bit after retirement, and that's Jeff Hornacek. You got an opportunity to get to know him at all? No, not as much. I, I kind of, over the years, have talked to him more than I was able to this year yeah. because of the unusual circumstances. But obviously he's been around so long, I have had occasions. And I talked to him over the phone a few times during the search process and way back when he was a candidate for the Rockets job uh, before he went to the Knicks. But uh, I will tell you one thing I learned. He can still shoot. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Every now and then while he's waiting, like, you know, he warms up players as an assistant coach as part of his job. And sometimes when he gets out on the court before the player, he'll take a shot or two. Yep. Uh, that's it, though. I've only seen a shot or two. But I tell you something, he can still shoot. And you know what? When you see these guys who are former players years after, their shooting form never changes. It still looks exactly the same as it did. A little less lift on his jump shot, as in now it's none. Probably, I was going to say, but, probably none now. <laughs> yeah. But I've seen this over the years. Back, back in the day, I saw Rudy Tomjanovich shoot, and it was that same really high-release shot. These guys, a lot of them who are shooters anyway, it never changes, and uh, Jeff can still shoot. Jeff had a funny story when he'd been retired a while, and I, I don't know, two, three, five years, whatever it was, that he played in a pickup game with some pros, and he said he was really good. He might have said something other than that, but we're on the radio. So he was really good. He said, and the next morning I could barely get out of bed. He said, I went to bed thinking, I still got it. And I woke up the next morning and thought, and that's why I retired. My knees are killing me. I've heard guys say that. Uh, way back when, uh, Larry Smith was on the Rockets coaching staff. And they didn't have enough players for practice. And for, it, was a Rudy, it was the Rudy era, so I could go to practice because Rudy was the world's most cooperative coach. And, uh, you know, in fact, the Rudy... Tom Janovich Award is named after Rudy Tom Janovich for that reason. <laughs> so I was at practice, Larry Smith practiced, and he had a rule, there are no fouls on assistant coaches. Well, Larry Smith was a physical, really physical, Mr. Mean player as a player, as an assistant coach way older. He was just beating the crap out of everyone. <laughs> you know, you missed a free throw two weeks ago and it cost us a game, I'm beating the crap out of you. And just beat him up all day. And so I said, you know, you look like you could keep playing. You said, wait till tomorrow. The game before the game, which was in Portland, I asked him about it. And he says, I couldn't get out of bed today. <laughs> I couldn't move. Yeah. Said, you know, people don't get how tough it is to play. You know, these guys, it looks so easy. They go from end to end four times in a row, just like it's nothing. Like it's a video game and maybe your thumb gets a little tired. You know, the rest of us get out there and forget competing. Just run up and down a few times. It's just, I've seen endurance athletes. The breathing is so different that they get gassed when they say, I'll play some pickup ball. What are you talking about? You just rode your bike 80 miles last week just for a fun afternoon. Why are you out of breath? And it's just totally different. I've I've played back in the day pickup games against guys who were in so much better shape than I could ever be in, and they'd be gassed. But because I played pickup every day, now I can keep playing. Just it's an unbelievable it, 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 the level that they get to, which I really have digressed. But 
the level they get to in conditioning, it's unreal. The guys you think are in really good shape, and all they got to get in better shape. Just a really tough sport. Jonathan, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on and uh, and talking some rocket basketball with us. Always a pleasure. Right. Kind of kind of went off the rails there a little bit. No worries. That's always fun too. Say say hi to tell Jeff that you talked to two morning guys. Even if you forget uh, who we are, he'll he'll remember. <laughs> he'll know. Well, tell, I want to hear t- what he has to say. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, you probably do. All right, tell Jeff hi. We'll talk to you. Jonathan Fagan, Houston Rockets writer for the Houston Chronicle. Join us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. All right, coming up next, we get you up to speed on everything you missed in this show. And, Yach, what else is happening next? We've got a surprise for both of y'all. Really? We don't know, huh? You guys have no clue. This is actually really, really fun, and we'll have some fun with it. All right, we'll do that next, whatever the heck it is. Stay with us, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The playoffs may be over for the Utah Jazz. You're outstanding! But the season never ends on the Zone Sports Network. From the NBA draft to free agency and on to the summer league, the Zone will be with the Jazz every step of the way as the Jazz front office builds for the future. Your exclusive home of Utah Jazz basketball is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by SNS Roofing. SNS Roofing is your locally owned roof repair experts. For a free quote and all your roofing needs, call SNS Roofing. All right, going into the break, Yak teased a surprise for us. We know nothing about this. What do you got, Yak? All right, you guys know our good friend Ute Shasta Trailer on Twitter. We have. I do not know him personally, well, but I've seen him. Yes, sure, he's interacted with him. He's a, he's a, he listens all the time. He listens on vacation down in the Florida Keys. If you guys mm-hmm. recall, well, uh, you guys a couple weeks ago, uh, PK and his wordsmith style brought up the term Nimrod, and you guys went off on this for a little while. And we're looking up, and there's actually a high school that has a nickname, the Nimrods, as we found up in the Upper Peninsula of, of Michigan. Well, you Shasta Trailer decides to have some fun with it, so hold on for just one second. <laughs> now we're holding on. Please hold <laughs> while the producer creates some positivity. <laughs> oh, jeez. He's in here now. <laughs> what do you got? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> He's tearing open a bag that came in the mail. Uh... <laughs> Oh, nice. <laughs> so we got a t-shirt. Property of Watersmeet Township Nimrods XXL. And on the back it says Sniggledorf in the number two. What does yours say? Uh, my real last name, too. Kinahan. Number one. There it is. Oh, we need a photo of this? Sniggledorf. Turn the well, I know, but the Nimrod, the Nimrod logo's on the front. We got to do it right now while we're broadcasting. Yeah, right now, stand oh, up. Okay, okay, take okay, a photo. Okay, yeah, Wait, you're gonna need two photos. You need one of the front because they got to know what it's all about. Okay, you're doing the back first, PK. Okay, we'll do one of the back and then one of the front. I'm just doing what I'm told. Photo opportunity. You got a yak? Flip it around. Here we go. <laughs> Posing for photos on the radio. My name was spelled right. That's good. And we're good. All right. Thank you for the free clothing, you Chasta trailer. 
Got a new got a new shirt for the gym. The Nimrods. <laughs> you like to? Is that their know, nickname? The Nimrods. Yeah, it is their nickname. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a school. Uh, Watersmeet Township. Mm-hmm. XXXL. That's a little big for me, but uh, maybe I can work my way into it. <laughs> <laughs> keep, keep, keep hitting the bench, and you'll more be fine. pizza. <laughs> Well, thank you, Ute Shasta Trailer, uh, for listening and for the Nimrods. We located them over in, uh, what was that, Michigan? Upper yes. Peninsula, Michigan. Yes. Yep. Uh, the UP, baby. The UP, yes. I uh, have family who talks about the UP often. The Upper Peninsula. Appreciate that. The Nimrods. That's kind of a funny nickname. And with the, the Sundance Channel did a documentary on him, so you might see it. It's out oh, there. It was done in 2007. Nimrod Nation. Okay. <laughs> so get Which out I there. I belong now. <laughs> so we are now part of, yes, right? <laughs> so uh, you could probably find that on YouTube or someplace, Netflix. I'm sure it's out there somewhere. Sundance Channel's got pretty wide distribution. It's got to be in the archive somewhere. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, if I uh, get slow time here coming up, I'll, I'll see if I can find it. Yeah. And over time, this has been sent to me. Uh, speaking of listeners sending us things, the license plates, uh, the personalized license plates, I love PK. Have you mm-hmm. seen that one? Mm-hmm. Have you seen it? I think you showed me a photo of it. Yeah, people have sent me that. Yeah. Well, yesterday, I got behind that car. Oh, did you really? <laughs> <laughs> no way. Yes. Did you yes. pull him over? No. Uh, Get that cop light out, put it on the road. So you're going pull pull to pull an old and A convertible. Piece? Actually, and the funny thing is, yesterday we were up at Jeremy for the Salt Lake Chamber, and I told you that there was an accident there. And when we left their, our show after ten o'clock, the line going east on I eighty miles miles long. Yeah, and that's not a joke. Miles yeah, long. The accident that I came upon, I was early on it, so I wasn't delayed that much. Was right about Lambs Canyon heading east. Well, the traffic at three plus hours later was almost all the way back to 215. Somebody not, not somebody quite. went off the freeway, and at that yeah. hour, because I was just a little bit in front of you, the sun was brutal. You just could barely see up the hill what was going on in front of you, and somebody went off the road and flipped on their hood, and they ended up bringing uh, Life Flight in, I think, the helicopter, to fly them off, yeah. and they had to close the freeway to land it. So miles long when we drove back. So when I got home, I had to go to Park City, Right. Yeah, so to turn around and go to Park City, and I was meeting somebody up there, and I knew, well, I couldn't come back. That would take, I don't know how long yeah. it would take, right? So I went over the top. What's that, Guardsman's Pass? Mm-hmm. And when I got to the very top, pulling out in front of me was I Love PK. And so we drove down into Park City that way. And they were either sightseeing or very cautious. Well, that road demands very cautious. I, I haven't been on that road in a long time, but I've been on it, and that, that demands cautious. No, I didn't say cautious. I said very cautious. You're, you're a cautious person. You don't take any chances, so I can see where you would be coming from that. Uh, so after a while, I was about five cars behind him. He did pull over. Uh, and uh, so for... Several miles, I drove behind. I love PK <laughs> because I was saying something to my wife, and she said, "Well, I don't know about that, but I know the guy in front of you really is fond of you." <laughs> <laughs> That's how you noticed. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't noticed. <laughs> 
So after I've probably had ten people over the years send me that picture, take a picture, and yeah, send at some it. point you showed it to me. Yeah, and so uh, there it is. I I finally saw it for myself. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, UCS trailer. We appreciate it. Time to get you up to speed on everything you missed in this show. The Clippers, we came away impressed. Paul George, that was awesome. 41 points, 13 boards, 6 assists. The Clippers with a fast start. The Suns tightened up the game. And then Paul George went nuts in the third quarter. Very impressive. He scored 20 of his 41 points in the third quarter. Reggie Jackson was big down the stretch. Some big shots there as they hold off the Suns. And that forces a Game 6 Wednesday night in L.A. Phoenix up 3-2 trying to close it out. I love body language, and body language on Paul George was just absolutely awesome. And, you know, I don't get caught up in winning and losing because there's going to be a winner and loser in every game. The thing that I get caught up is competition and how hard did you play, how much did you compete, what were you doing as far as laying it out on the line. And the Clippers, I give them an A+. Yes. And they may not win the series. But with the circumstances, and they lose Zubac, so now they're down a couple of starters. One, a premier, most likely Hall of Famer. Another one, you know, who can have good games, not uh, not a star by any stretch. But just more adversity, and they simply just continue to battle. That's what it's about for me. That's the essence of why I turn on the television, why I go to games, uh, because I want to see people compete. And they competed at the highest level that they could possibly do. And that leaves me thoroughly impressed. Win or lose. And I don't know that they're going to win the next two games. If they do, that's awesome for them. But even if they don't, I just love the way they competed. They got $51 million injured sitting on on the sideline. That's, That's a lot of money and a lot of talent to be out. And to be competing at this level. The Kawhi... And he's making $35 million. No Serge Ibaka, no Zubak at $9.2 and $7 million. That's a lot of talent. But it didn't matter. No. And as Paul George said afterwards, well, I'm not going to shoot 70% every game. That's not realistic. He was 15 of 25. He shot 75%. Yeah, I don't think he needed to to win that game, though. They defended the Suns well. They held the Suns to 102 points. He, in this era of the NBA, if you hold someone to 102 points, you ought to be winning the game. Yeah, so and a 15 did. of 20 I don't think is required to win two more ball games. Now, you follow the Suns. You got, you got friends and family in the Valley of the Sun, and so you're hearing about them, casual conversation. You can't help but follow them. You watch when they're on because you know you're going to be talking about them when you talk to your sisters or whoever. How much do you trust them to have that bounce-back game? That and It's not that Booker was bad. I mean, he scored. He wasn't super efficient, although he did get to the line. That was... That's something he is good at. Um, he is. He he did his thing. Chris Paul, somebody to go with him, Aiton or somebody else, have a third guy. Well, Crowder is the ultimate role player. That guy is so hot or so cold. Oh, for four from three. Yeah, a four point game. Right. They're they're starting what you would define as forwards. A total of nine points, I think. Uh, Bridges and Crowder. I mean, obviously, that's not near good enough. Crowder's only really given him anything in this series once. In game one, he was in double figures with 13 points. Other than that, he has struggled to score. Now he's there to rebound, to defend. He's, you know, he's the junkyard dog, always out there competing, being physical, mixing it but up. He's going to shoot. Uh, so. He's one for 10 from three in the last two games. Yeah. 
That's uh, and my buddy from L.A. texted me. Crowder's killing him. I said, "Well, hey, man, Alvin Adams is not walking through that door." Nice, your go-to, <laughs> Alvin Adams. <laughs> Back in the day, the six-nine, two hundred and seven-pound center. <laughs> That would be a small forward. Uh, <laughs> He's now small forward. Yeah. So I think collectively they're going to have to play better. And I think it's going to be a mindset. And Monty Williams has got to get those guys ready right from the start and have some edge. They had no edge at the beginning of the well, game. Well, that was, that was what he went to in his post game. He didn't go to X's and O's and all that. He went to the way they started the game. And we just kind of showed up. Yeah, I think they thought it was over when they won that game in uh, L.A., and thought, okay, we and got some, this. And sometimes that's true, but not on this night against this team. On another night against another team, you might have shown up with that effort and, and closed out the series. But Clippers are gritty and gutty. You got you to give it to them. The Suns uh, played like pretty boys. So you've got to change that. Bucks and Hawks tonight in the East. Bucks are up 2-1, to one, trying to make it 3-1. to one. You trust them? You've been down on the Hawks all, or down on the Bucks all year. Well, I think they're better than last year. I said last year I was really down on them. They had the best record, right? I didn't think that they were near as good. This year I think Drew Holiday is much, much better than what they had with Bledsoe. So this year's a different. Last year I was down on them. Uh, this year I think they're the better team. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly if Trey Young has some ankle issues, he stepped on that referee. And that uh, is an issue. So if he can't be 100%, then they're in a world of hurt. I mean, right now, I think the Bucks are the favorite to win the title. I, of the teams remaining, I would pick them. I would say that uh, this is probably a segment for tomorrow we shouldn't burn now, but I think if you're a Jazz fan, you should root for the Bucks. Oh, I don't think it matters. You don't? No. Doesn't send a message to the league, stay where you are, build it, you can get it done. If the Clippers win it, you better go form a super team. That's the only way to get it done. You don't think that message gets sent? To who? To stars. To <laughs> young stars everywhere. I mean, here it would be Donovan Mitchell, but in Phoenix it would be Booker. I mean, you go down the line. I've told you this a thousand times. He's thousands of miles away from home. Yes. It doesn't matter where he is. He's not home. He doesn't have some fancy visions of playing in New York or L.A. because he didn't grow up here. You just told me somebody tweeted something about Dwayne Wade being worried about Donovan Mitchell staying. Yes, these are, and I don't remember even where you said where you saw it. I don't look at Twitter like you do. Uh, so, and wait, the guy's good. he's under contract for it's another Brian three Windhorst years, and I'm there. worried about Donovan Mitchell leaving in three or four years. Brian Windhorst was the one who tweeted I, I, out. I don't even know if I'm going to be alive Sunday. Thank you. Okay. That's 49er humor right there. So we're worried about what's going to happen in 2026? It's ridiculous. DJ PK, your feedback coming up next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. DJ PK, it is time for your feedback. Everything you think about today's show. Yach posted a video of us getting these shirts personalized from the Watersmeet Township Nimrods Athletic Department courtesy of Huge Shasta Trailer. He posts a video and Parker tweets, Totes would watch a live stream of the show. Yeah, I don't know that there's much to see there. <laughs> Two of us sitting here looking at each other, reading a computer, talking. Yeah. yeah eating during commercial breaks. I 
Okay. You're holding your head here for a couple uh, seconds at the start of the video. You're reading something on your computer, I think. I've seen it. That was your chassis trailer's request. When I gave it to you, I needed to film it. So there it is. All right. It. It's posted. Everyone on Twitter can enjoy. Your chassis trailer is tweeting out a link to the uh, school website for the Nimrods, who are now going to be getting way more traffic than they expected. Greg says it's about time you two Nimrods receive the recognition you so richly deserve. Oh, you've received a ton. You've been like stud of the year a million times over. I've never won. The only thing I've ever won was that little columnist thing. That's the only award I've any recognition. Zero. You've gotten Sportscaster of the Year multiple times, City something or other multiple times. Yeah, but you get called on to public speak and host Christmas parties and entertain the masses, so your recognition just comes in different forms. <laughs> hey, uh, PK, can you uh, go up into a few minutes of your act? And then you look at me like, what act? I don't know. This isn't an act that I do, by the way. <laughs> yeah, well, apparently. This is dead serious. If you'd like PK to appear at your Christmas party. Yeah, I can pop out of a cake. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> I'll provide my own icing. Uh, Jill sends in, should I get an I Love DJ license plate and drive down the street next to I Love PK? <laughs> sure. If you want to. I don't know. What does it cost? I've never had personalized license plates. She also says X96 has done the live stream of the show. You guys should definitely do it. Really? Yeah. You just... A camera sit here and us just <laughs> away? Just sitting here yammering away. They do it. I've seen it. I know. Oh, what? It's just a bunch of them moving around and talking So do we mics. have to start coming up with shtick for the video? Probably. The Masters updates, right? Wasn't Probably. that a radio show yeah, that did that? It's a radio show down in Memphis. In yeah. Memphis, yeah. Well, I, you could see me. A lot of times I just break out into dance. <laughs> you know, when a song hits my hits my mind. We got a lot of people tweeting at us. I don't even know who to credit for this. Uh, as far as the Brian Windhorst, I think Dwayne Wade is seriously concerned about Donovan Mitchell's desire to stay in Utah long term. We have multiple versions of uh, every single NBA team is worried about keeping their stars long term. <laughs> so, I mean, yes, it's true, but Dwayne Wade's in a panic. <laughs> He's saying, why did I take on this? Is this another worry I don't need? <laughs> right? I got the world by the tail. Now I'm going to worry about Donovan Mitchell in what, three plus years from now? When is that thing over? Now we have a Scott Gerard from Bountiful who says, we're going to do it soon on Twitch. Get ready. Streaming the shows, coming your way. I have nothing to hide. Gear up. Aside from the fact how boring we are during the shows. <laughs> Just sitting here, conserving energy. Yeah, that We're going to safe power mode during the commercial breaks. It doesn't seem to me that that would be exciting, but if they think that folks want it, so be it. Right. And I come in here and... Here we are. And my, we're talking. My normal routine is I get up and uh, come in here... And I usually try to go work out afterward, and then I take a shower, so I won't be at my best. If I have a meeting or anything after the show, then I'll shower beforehand. But like today, I plan to go home, get in a workout, come home, take a shower. So it, I, I think that they should have them in our homes, actually. No. 
<laughs> Snakes in the palace. <laughs> no. Over there, the albino alligators. There'll be video of me coming up with a duct tape and just duct taping over the camera. That's the last video you'll see from there. Snakes in the palace, man. Who wouldn't want that? That would be awesome. <laughs> see where we live? <laughs> Of course, on the other hand, if it turns you into some version of uh, the Kardashians' money-making machine, hey, you want to see they the trailer? They you get a million bucks for just for getting out of their car. You want to see the trailer? Come on over. <laughs> yeah, the trailer. <laughs> All right, DJ and PK, we got to take a break. When we come back, Scott Gerard, Hans Olsen, more in a moment on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.